podcast where we focus on the players who drop the gloves and the fans who enjoyed watching them do it. My name is Alec, your host. Um, I apologize if I sound really shitty. I've been sick all fucking that well. I, I blame Darren from a fourth line voice, that fucking bastard. We did the LNH special and fuck, haven't been able to kick whatever he had, I guess. So he must have fucking transferred it to me. But nonetheless, yeah, that's why I've been kind of delayed a little bit. Um, before we get any further, the Five for Fighting podcast is a proud partner of the 2019 Mustache Classic Ice Hockey Outing, benefiting men's cancer and suicide prevention in cooperation with the Movember Foundation on November 16th, coming up soon, 2019 at the Danbury Ice Arena in Danbury, Connecticut. We are joined in partnership by Champion Elevator, Roosters Hockey Wax, Boost Oxygen, Sprig CBD Sodas, Two for Roughing Designs, Grand Supply Company, the Danbury Hattricks, and TK's American Cafe. Um, you know, that event's coming up soon. You know, I wish like hell I could make it. Fuck, at this point, I think I'd be dying if I even tried to go somewhere cold. I'm already feeling shitty enough down here in Florida, and I'd be going up there to Connecticut just fucking wasting away. But uh, nonetheless, man, I, you know, Matt, uh, you got a good thing going on, and I, I hope it all goes well for you. And, you know, take a lot of pictures, hope to see it, and hope, uh, hope everything goes well for you up there, man. It looks like it's a lot of fun. So, um, but yeah, you know, today's episode, we have uh, Ken Tasker on. For those who don't know, if, well, if if you listen to this podcast and you don't know, I gotta say, uh, go get yourself checked by a doctor if you've ever seen the uh, the old Ken Tasker versus Trevor Sen fight. It's probably the most infamous hockey fight in uh, in, in all hockey fights, honestly. Um, you know, it's just an absolute toe to toe slugfest at Center Ice. It was the very first uh, we go over to it, the very first hockey fight I ever saw on YouTube when I was younger. Um, Excuse me, I'll be sniffling. I might be taking a break to drink a little bit of water. But I'm going to try not to make this too long because, you know, my voice is about fucking shot. Um, and I've been been putting this off because I've, I haven't been able to talk. So, uh, but I, I want to get some content out there. Uh, I've had this episode recorded for about a week and a half, almost two weeks now. And uh, that's another thing I wanted to bring up. Um, some of you may have saw. Uh, so I'm switching it from every week to bi-weekly so I'll be doing it uh, releasing an episode every two weeks I think that way um jeez <coughs> oh, Murphy uh, excuse me um but I think that way with the episodes it'll be uh it'll be a little bit easier for me to get my shit together um find a guest and everything like that actually lately it's been kind of hard finding guests right now for whatever reason you know I st- first started the podcast it was it was easy it was like shooting fish in a barrel and somehow it's all all of a sudden come to a dead stop so uh, if, if you've listened to Fourth Line Voices episode with uh, him uh, kind of going off a little bit on you know trying to get guests and everything like that, but it really is hard. And believe it or not, uh, you know it's we're not spitting chicklets. We're, we're like he says, we're the little fish in the big pond. We're closer to the bottom than we are at the top. Hell, if not, I'm already at the fucking bottom. Um, <laughs> excuse me, what did he say? Reached up to touch bottom. That's what uh, that's what Darren says. But yeah, you know, so trying to get some guys on it's 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 struggle a little bit but um you know it is what it is so i want to switch it over to bi-weekly that way i have time to get a guest on and i have time to um do some research because trying to do it weekly was kind of with my work schedule and everything like that was a little a little rough at times there was times where i'd be racing home and it's shitty on my end because i like to do research on the guests before they come on or sometimes I wouldn't even be prepared, and I'd have to kind of just spitball it. Now, there's don't get me wrong. There's plenty of times where, you know, 
I'm trying to find a guy's fight card, and there's no way to find it because it's just uh, hell. Like Peter Zerba, that's the next guest after this Tasker episode. Uh, you know, big thanks to Pete for coming on, but you can't find his fight card anywhere. Couldn't get it off the wayback machine. Hockey fights doesn't have it. So, in that sense, we kind of got a spitball, and I think the players understand that. But as far as doing research and teammates and stuff, there was some times where I'd race home. I think I did it for the Craighead episode, unfortunately, um, which also got good reception. But um, I had to race home that day when I was doing, I was working my ass off. Uh, when I didn't, that was, that was during when I didn't get a day off for about two months, but I totally forgot. I, I left my notes over there at work at the, um, at the job site. So I came home and next thing you know, I had to uh, kind of go off my memory a little bit there and see if I could remember what I wrote down or had wrote down or stuff like that. Oh, give me one second, let me sip some water here. shit sorry i'm dying um but no so i i want to try to give you guys the best content and give the due diligence to the players and respect their career so i'd rather not race home or fuck up you know doing research and stuff like that so i'd rather do a bi-weekly i think it'll be easier to get guests on in that time frame as well as do the research on them and everything like that so um, but yeah, so far the Mike Segroy episode last uh, last episode was pretty good. Uh, I got great reception on that. And well, well <laughs> minus one Yahoo over there uh, left a review on it and said, um, <laughs> "Fucking, I ruined his podcast listening experience." It sounded like Darth Vader with a chaw and or a dip in. I think that's what it was. It was Darth Vader with a dip in over in the review section. Apparently, I was uh, I ruined his podcast, ruined the Segroy uh, interview. Apparently, so I guess though he. Took a time out to uh, <laughs> give me a, give me a one star review, and that reminds me, you know, uh, you know, reviewed the show. Hey, fuck it. I mean, if you don't like it and you want to motherfuck me, I guess motherfuck me in there. So if you get five stars, cool. I really appreciate it. But other than that one, uh, one jackass, you know, the the Segroy episode, everybody seemed to love it, and you know, I can't thank Mike enough for coming on and giving me the time of day to talk to him. You know, it was it was good stuff. But. Um, you know, before I end it, um, getting close to the end here, uh, like I said, I'm trying not to talk too long. I'm going to give a shout out to my usual podcast that uh, I think are the best ones to listen to. Of course, you have the original Enforcer based podcast, who was the original Enforcer podcast, was uh, Darren over there at the Fourth Line Voice. And we just had that rant episode. And believe me, um, a lot of us, us smaller guys, especially when, when it comes to getting players on, that's the real grind. And it's. Uh, it can be frustrating at times, so I definitely understand where he's coming from. And, you know, we have a private message gone back and forth. Um, but he just had an episode. He came out came out swinging. Didn't have an episode for a while because he was having trouble getting guests. And out of nowhere, it just comes out with uh, Big Mac, Steve McIntyre. So go check that out. Fucking out of, out of left field. Just hit, hit it out of nowhere. Um, came out, and I, I just got through listening to that today, and it was great stuff. You know, I'm a huge Big Mac fan. Uh, he played for the Quad Cities for a season, so always have a little special place for Big Mac. I think I actually, I think I saw him play one game. I think I remember one game we went to, and I believe Big Mac was playing um, when I went back home for Iowa one year. And then of course you have Get the Gate. They do, uh, they do kind of the current stuff, and it's one of the few current podcasts I actually enjoy listening to. As far as listening to today's game, as y'all know, I don't really, don't really watch the game today per se. Actually, I haven't come to think about. I have not watched a single NHL game this season, and I'm not losing a wink of sleep over it. Um, that's just me personally, not trying to motherfucker shit on the boys or anything like that. It's just not for me, but, um, yeah, so they kind of do the current stuff. They just had an episode out with, uh, going over the New Jersey devils and kind of the history of when they were the Colorado Rockies and the Kansas city scouts. So that was really interesting. They always have a, 
they have some fun episodes like that. And they just had one with uh, going over Mika Kiprasov's career. And you know, Kipper almost fucking about stole the show from my uh, my Lightning back in 2004. And uh, was that a goal in Game Six? I guess we'll never know. You know it, it could be either way, but uh, nonetheless, you know, it was a fun episode to listen to. And of course, you got my boy uh, William over there at the Biscuit. He's always doing good stuff. So um, definitely go check his stuff out. Uh, I'm trying to think who he just had a damn episode with. Oh, it's Rob Bellamy. We just had an episode with him. So definitely go check that one out. Um, so I think that's it for the shout outs. Oh, one last thing I forgot to mention. Um, so I did make a post and this uh, this won't affect the podcast yet. And it was about me. So uh, some of you may have listened before and heard kind of the intro episode or anything like that. Or may have kind of made, heard me mention it throughout the uh, throughout other episodes. But I was in the uh, I was in the Marine Corps and I, you know, I was thinking long and hard about what I want to do. You know, I'm still uh, I'll be 24 next year. I'm just kind of thinking about what I want to do. You know, I've wanted to go into law enforcement, stuff like that. But uh, I think I kind of missed the military a little bit. I'm not going back into active duty. I'll be going into, I'm going to hopefully go into the National Guard uh, by the end of the year next year. And even when I go, you know, if the podcast is still kicking at that time, because, you know, who knows, I'm, somebody might just say, fuck that kid <laughs> over there. Fuck Alec over at the Five for Fighting podcast. I'm not going on that fucker show. Might never end up getting a guest again. But. No, if the podcast is still going strong, then um, it'll just be put on hold for however long the training is. And then once the training's done, I'll be back. So there's no need to worry about that. Um, I saw, you know, uh, you know, John with the uh, Hockey Fight League was like, you know, first, fourth line voice might be gone and now you. But now it's not going anywhere. It'll just be put on hold for a little bit. So hopefully I'll have a lot of episodes in the chambers for people to listen to and go back and enjoy and stuff like that. But um don't forget, you know, we got the uh, the Facebook group, the Best Enforcers and Hockey Fights. It's where I post. Uh, well, actually, it's really user-driven now. It's mostly posted by uh, a lot of different people. A lot of former players are in there. Uh, just, you know, talking about the boys, appreciating the tough guys and everything like that. So uh, fights are posted pretty much daily. I know I've been slacking on it, too, because I've been sick. I've been slacking on everything. I haven't posted much on Twitter. I haven't posted much in the group. But, you know, nonetheless, we're... Uh, you know, hopefully I'll be back up to speed here soon, and you know I'm able to get it done. And then of course you know go follow the uh, the account on Twitter, uh, Five for Fighting Pod, I believe it is. Fuck it, I know it's Five for Fighting Pod on Instagram. Let me see what it is here on Twitter. And we also have the official, uh, like I say official, like there's no <laughs> there's imitators out there, but um, Five for Fighting Podcast Facebook page where you can find everything. Oh yeah, that's right on Twitter. It's Five for Fighting, but it's actually the number Five for Fighting Pod. Uh, so you go ahead and give the give the account a follow there on twitter and you'll hear me or you'll see me bitching about the game and shit that goes down all the fucking time and other fans um <laughs> but anyways you know it's you came here to listen to ken tasker you saw episode 12 ken tasker that's what you're here for and uh, i'm about done yapping my voice is probably about to be done anyways but you know thanks again to ken for coming on i really appreciate it and so without further ado i guess we'll toss it over to ken thanks for uh listening everybody hope you enjoy this should be good this should be very good all right, and here today on the 12th episode of the Five for Fighting podcast, we have a dude who managed to rack up 1,897 career penalty minutes. He was involved in one of the most famous, if not the most famous, hockey fight of all time and one of the toughest pound-for-pound, toe-to-toe fighters, one Mr. Ken Tasker. Ken, how you doing today? Very good, Alex. Thank you for that introduction. It's very oh. flattering. Yeah, we, uh, very right, off, right off the dome here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, you know, come on the show here and uh, give everybody a, um, 
little taste of what it was like to fight through the uh, the minors of the hockey world. Yeah, my pleasure. It's, uh, it's always good to go down memory lane and, and uh, you know think about the old days on the bus and uh, and then remember the old guys that the guys that I played with and, and used to fight. So I welcome any of these opportunities and um, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely, man. Well, I guess we'll start from the beginning. So you were born in Ottawa. Um, was it, were you pretty much skating as soon as you could walk or did, did you kind of, you know, get into hockey a little bit later? I got into hockey a little bit later. Um, I, I was born in Ottawa, but then, uh, my parents moved to Hamilton, Ontario, which is, uh, a steel town, kind of like your Pittsburgh. Uh, so it's a steel town of Canada and, uh, consequently a pretty tough town, like real blue collar town. And uh, I started, I guess, when I was about six because I had an older cousin, um, Mike. My cousin Mike Tasker was playing. Uh, he's nowhere near as, as good looking or as tough as me. So <laughs> I, got all, <laughs> I got all the good genes. But uh, anyway, uh, so he started playing hockey, and I guess I started showing interest. And then my parents, uh, thank God, signed me up for hockey. And uh, I still remember getting my first year. It was. Uh, it was used equipment from, uh, you know, my dad's cousin, his kids, and stuff like that. So I, I remember uh, just putting on this old, musty, old smelling gear, but it felt great to get suited up. And then uh, once I started playing hockey, I loved it, like instantly. Uh, funny enough, like as a as a youngster, I was I was a real goal scorer, and uh, I had a nickname called the Rocket. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I guess uh, when I first started playing, when I first started, I I could like take off in one direction, but I couldn't stop. So it's kind of like Happy Gilmore. Like once I was on the track, that was it. I was just taking off, but anything got in my way, it was, it was getting blown out. So. <laughs> it's like oh, um, uh, what's that, Luis Mendoza from the Mighty Ducks, the one that couldn't stop. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but anyway, so with minor hockey, I was pure you know, all skill goal scorer and, and, uh, love the game. And, uh, and then, uh, we move, end up moving back to Ottawa, but, uh, I lived on the Quebec side, um, with my mom and Elmer. And then, uh, my dad lived in Ottawa. So I, as my teenage years came, I, I started playing, uh, a little bit of hockey in both cities. I played sort of winter in Quebec and then, uh, triple a summer hockey in Ottawa. And it was, uh, just a, a great little community for hockey, like, uh, fantastic, uh, just fantastic programs, fantastic coaches. And, uh, yeah, then I end up, uh, trying out for different junior teams. And, uh, that's kind of where the fighting started. Uh, okay. to go back a little bit, like in Hamilton, I, Hamilton was a tough town. So I was either in fight at school or when I'd get off the bus, we were kind of living in projects there down in Stony Creek, which is a real tough part of town. And then downtown Hamilton, uh, there's two parts of Hamilton right downtown and then up on the mountain. And downtown is where, uh, you know, they're just tough as nails, kids, tough as nails, families. And and, uh, so, yeah, anyway, so I started scrapping there. We'd we'd end up moving from town to town and I'd, often be the new kid so i end up I, I learned pretty quick that you know if you fight the toughest guy in uh out of the group then it, it cancels everybody else out so right. as a youngster i i learned that and then 
I kind of went a long time without fighting, like in hockey. Like, uh, I'd say from the time, well, I didn't really fight in hockey at all until I was about 15 or 16. But that same mentality came back was like, if you're going to fight somebody, you fight the toughest guy, and then that takes care of everybody else. Now, the only the drawback of that is that you, you develop a reputation that sort of snowballs on you. And, right, uh, it's like the, well, you know, you, you did it one time, and then uh, you kind of since you fought the toughest guy, everybody's going to want to kind of take you on a little bit, and it kind of just goes on and on. You get that reputation going. Exactly. Like uh, I don't know how it, it starts, but it, like as far as like uh, that reputation, like there's I guess a bit of a buzz. People start talking. Uh, I guess you know amongst the the fans and uh, amongst the, the players, and it, it kind of goes through, and then. I remember just being sort of 17 and, and not, you know, just wanting to play hockey, but then all of a sudden you get these tough guys and they they kind of lock eyes with you. And I'd be like, you know, I knew I knew what it meant. I knew it was time to take care of business. But at the same time, I was like, just, I just want to be left alone. I just want to try and score goals. I want to try and play tough hockey. But uh, then I, I realized, too, that, you know, playing tough hockey at that time, came with a consequence and that was like you know if you bowled somebody over like some tough guy was hopping over the bench coming for you you know right it was almost uh, two and two yeah exactly so and that was my style right like from the time that i started body checking was you know those open ice hits you know running a guy in the corner uh any chance i got i just wanted to go right through a guy i found that in fact more exhilarating once i started body checking than scoring goals but um, and then with junior, it added that extra factor of fighting. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it was one of those things like uh, it took a little getting used to, you know. And then, of course, I, I sort of had that struggle or that battle with my coaches where I'd tell them, you know, I didn't really want to fight. Um, and then I'd end up, uh, you know, I end up leaving one team. The the coach was an awesome guy, but he just knew. He could tell by looking at me what kind of a player I was going to be, and right. his name is Bill Riley. He's one of the first black guys uh, to play in the NHL. Um, and then uh, shortly after that, I ended up playing for another, uh, you know, what was a tough guy, Trevor Steinberg. He ended up coaching. Uh, he's a coach of the University of Halifax uh, for okay. St. Mary's Huskies. He uh, he actually tried. He's one of the coaches um, that told me, you know. You don't have to fight. You just, uh, you know, play hockey and, uh, you know, the fights will come, but you pick your spots. And uh, I, you know, I appreciate what he was trying to teach me as a young guy and with, like, my nerves. I just, I find that hard to do. Like, I've had, even John Brophy used to tell me, you know, Kenny Tass, why don't you just go out and play hockey? And, uh, you know, I'd be skating down the ice and somebody two-hand me. And, like, my first instinct was to, to, like, as hard as I could trying to break a bone, I'd wind up to two-hand them. And then Brophy would be, you know, one foot on the edge of the, like, on the boards, and be like, Tasker, would you please fuck right off? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, so then it's constantly that struggle. When I had coaches that told me, you know, just play hockey, it's really hard to do when, your job is to fight right? because you're skating around white knuckled. You know that the fight's coming. You know, it's really hard to have soft hands. I respect anybody that can manage the two. Uh, one of the tough, toughest guys I ever played against, uh, played against him more times than I 
than I'd care to was uh, Matt Van Horlick. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was in Wheaton, and I was in Toledo. And uh, funny story, we, like, I there was, it was, a, Andy Von Hellman was calling me that year. He must have made two or three calls to me personally, warning me, you know, he'd say things like, I know what you're trying to do, and it's not going to happen on my watch. That's the year I had, like, 400 and some minutes. I was trying to break the penalty minute record. Right. And uh, so Andy Von Hellman makes this call. He says, I know what you're trying to do. It's not going to happen on my watch. And I just like, we'll see. And I hang up the phone with <laughs> my manager. <laughs> uh, Todd Phillips, he's just looking at me like his eyes are just burning through him. He's like, did you just hang up on him? I'm like, yeah, fuck him. Like, <laughs> why, you know, just leave me alone, you know? Anyway, uh, so then um, what happened was uh, there was like, I, I was on fire. Like I, I had, you know, 400 and some minutes and penalties and I had like, I don't know, eight games to go. I, I was sure I was going to beat it. And then uh, I ended up playing against Matt Van Horlick. And for some reason, he just starts losing his mind on the ice. We had a guy on our team um, was about six foot six. Um, I forget his name, Mark. I can't remember his last name, but anyway, awesome guy, but huge guy, six foot six. And he, uh, I don't know if he asked Van Hoylick to fight or what, but Van, he turns around and just starts baseball swinging his stick, chasing this guy down the ice. And I was like, oh my God, he's just <laughs> lost. Like, I had never seen anything in person like that. So I just, I think it's on YouTube. I end up passing on him from behind and then it ends up in a full line brawl. And it's just a bit of mayhem. Uh, so anyway, what happens is Von Hellman, uh, Van Hellman uh, suspends me for the rest of the season for the last eight games. I was like, you dirty bastard. Like, you just cost me the title. So uh, anyway, I thought, okay, that's it. I'm going to, uh, you know, start enjoying myself. I'm, I'm off for the summer now. So I just start eating everything inside. I'm, I don't care about you know, my physique, they're not even having me practice with the team. And then uh, all of a sudden I get a call that um, my girlfriend at the time, she worked at Hooters. <laughs> she goes, there you go. She goes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. She goes, uh, you just got traded. She calls me and she's like, you just got traded. I'm like, it's impossible. There's like eight games in the season. I can't get traded. She's like, well, your coach called, call him back. I'm sure you're traded. So then I call my coach and he's like, yeah, Providence wants you to report. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> but I'm like, okay. So, uh, so I hopped in the, in the truck with Mark DeSantis. He was on my team too. He was an older vet, real tough guy, real good field hockey player. So we end up driving across the country from Toledo out to Providence. And, uh, I get there, I report, I get into the arena and then I, I get in the dressing room, and who's sitting across from me? Mad Van Horlick. They oh, call shit. him, and me. Well, no, it was gay. It was okay, I, but I'm just like, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> like, we just both started laughing, but it was like, here we just we both got suspended for the rest of the year from the East Coast League, and then the AHL calls us up. It's like, this is awesome. <laughs> Would it make your fingerprint? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So then, uh, so then. You know, we think it's funny when he tell he he told me like I just had it. He said like I told myself I didn't care who was coming after me, but if it was Ken Tasker, 
or um, or whoever, you know, Jason Nori, uh, I was just going to take their head off with my stick. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know those guys that actually thought that. You know, I, I've had thoughts like that, but I didn't. He was actually carrying it out physically. Right. You know, like, this is nuts. So, anyway, uh, we end up playing for uh, Peter Laviolette. And uh, Laviolette puts us both out there, and he goes, and I'll, like, I'll never forget, the guy's name was Jason Doig. He's actually like a, a pretty high-ranking uh, draft pick. But he was, uh, he was on the other team, and he was, for some reason, he had this beef with one of our goal scorers. And Laviolette, he goes, if he does anything to our guy, anything, you go, like, take him out. So we all, right. So he lines up on Vanny's side, and all you hear once the puck drops, you just hear like Vanny laying the lumber to this guy, like on the shin pads and cross checking <laughs> him. And then Lavi's freaking out. He's like, "No, Vanny, no!" I said, "If he does something." <laughs> and so we get back to the bench, and Vanny's uh, like pissed right off. He's like, "What the fuck do you want me to do? You want me to keep an eye on him, or you want me to play hockey? I can't do both." <laughs> <That's> what... <laughs> <laughs> I'm the exact same way. Like I, you, if I know a fight's coming, man, I cannot play hockey. I get, I got to get that fight out of the way. Right. Know? It's it's like that so. the the build up, man. And you almost you, you can't even focus at that point. You're just focused on the fight more than you are the actual hockey game. More than more than hitting yeah, a little puck around. <laughs> exactly. Like how are you supposed to like hold your your stick soft or you know you just grip it as tight as you can? Like you want to take somebody's teeth out, you know. Right. Did you did you ever did you ever have that like kind of that anxiety before a game like you couldn't sleep or take a pregame nap or anything like that? Uh, all the time. I, I it, towards the end of my career, I could start taking naps, but like for years and years, like people would do like the the afternoon nap, and I would be nauseous. I wouldn't be able to eat. I had insomnia. Like, and I I didn't like at the time. Honestly, God, like I was a hockey player that didn't know anything like I didn't know what these symptoms were I didn't know like I just was like this is just the way it is I can't I can't eat in the morning before practice because it makes me nauseous I couldn't really eat like lunch uh I'd have a little bit but if I had too much then I, I felt like garbage and then at night like before a game forget it I could not touch anything I couldn't keep anything down I was thrown up before games right and uh, that was just that was just part for the course. I just knew it was coming, but it was part of like almost part of my preparation. You know, I just knew that, okay, this is the way things are. And I remember like uh, some guys, like guys would take like Sudafed and stuff. And I, I'd find like, I couldn't take, I couldn't touch anything. Like guys would take like Benny's and stuff before games, help get them off. They'd smell like smelling salts. I could not touch any of that. Cause I was already like, as, as maxed out as I could be. Like, I was already running high. Like, I was running the red kind of thing all the time. Right. And if I took any that, I, it would just put me right over. I was just, you know, I, I, I remember trying to take, like, ephedrine or something, and I was just, just dry heaving and, like, could not compose myself. So, uh, any of that, but I know a lot of the guys that I'd go out against, I knew they were on something. Like, you just look at them, their eyes are all bloodshot. And they're just like out of it. They're staring right through you, and you're like, okay, like this one, this guy's ready to. This he's good to go. Right. And like bring, bring everything you have because he's just 
wound tight, you know? Um, so anyway, so like that stuff was, and for years until I, I started to get older and then I, I just kind of like, I got more comfortable with, yeah, like I know the fight's coming. I've been in enough of these fights. Like, you know, it, it's not that you don't care, but you're just like, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, you know? Right. Uh, I have, I had an awesome friend down in, uh, when I was in Augusta, Georgia, uh, he worked in the military. He was pretty high up and, uh, he actually, so his name was Doug Linton and he, uh, helped me through this, um, that tough man contest that runs through the U S I don't know. Do they still have it? Um, tough man, like, like the strongman competition like that. Well, no, it's like tough man, like a boxing, like three, one minute rounds boxing. Like it used to be on FX. They probably they probably outlawed it. It was it was popular in the '90s and then the early 2000s. So it, it came to town in Augusta, and basically it's you you pay your entry fee. I don't know what it is, 50 bucks or something, and you keep fighting till till one man is left, till you've beaten everybody, kind of thing. Right. And so uh, it's three one-minute rounds. It's it's like boxing. You're in a boxing ring, but it's just a slugfest because it's just one minute. So you just punch yourself out kind of thing every every fight right anyway uh so he was my my corner guy and uh it was around that time that i started actually having naps because he's like you know you just stuff it down any of those feelings you know you know it's coming but you know whatever comes at you i remember it was around the time that gladiator the movie came out and uh it was russell crowe with like the tigers where they're fighting yep. gladiators it was basically he's like that mentality, you don't know what's sitting on the other side of that gate, but whatever comes out, you go through it. And like, so in talking to a guy that had been, you know, you've been to, uh, I believe Afghanistan and, uh, been through it. It was, you know, dealing with a guy that, that could deal with, uh, you know, real life stress and pressure and not knowing whether you're going to, you know, live every day kind of thing, you know? So that helped me towards the end of my career that I could, sort of stuff things down and could manage that stress better. Uh, but it wasn't, like I said, towards the end until my career. But at that time, I'd been fighting for like a good seven or eight years. Right. But uh, anyway, uh, and then consequently, like a lot of that stuff still uh, stays with me today. Like I, there's still, I still don't eat breakfast. I don't, you know, there's a lot of nights all of a sudden I'll, I'll just be laying there and I'll feel like, you know, there's no way I'm falling asleep for a couple hours. I just, I can feel the insomnia coming on. And that's, again, just sort of somewhat a conditioning from playing hockey for so many years and fighting, right? Exactly. Yeah, man. I mean, fuck, you did it for so long. And it was, it, like you said, it almost kind of became part of your routine. So I guess it kind of stuck with you a little bit there, eh? Yeah, it just becomes, you know, part of your makeup. Like, you know, it's the way you live your life every day. You know, from the time I was, 16 till I was uh, 30 years old. That's the way it was. So you know, like, uh, you know how much uh, you know character forming you go through during those years, like formative, like uh, you know habits and things like that. So anyway, it's uh, I wouldn't change it. I had a blast. Like uh, I had some awesome times. You know, I, we didn't make much money, obviously, playing in the minor leagues. But yeah, I came out of there with a hell of a lot of life experience and then awesome stories. You know, met. So in hockey, you know, especially down in the U.S., like we come, you know, we come from up here in Canada and we go down there. We don't know anybody, but you, you really get this sense of like Southern hospitality. Like all the fans are so nice. They, 
they really uh, sort of adopt their players as as their boys kind of thing. You know, and here we are from you know a thousand miles away kind of thing. And right. yet you go down there and see how nice these people are that come out to the games. And like for me, I honestly don't know where I kind of picked it up, but I always looked at hockey as like entertainment. I think a lot of people don't get that. Like it's a show. And like when I go out and play hockey, that's kind of what I, I, I try and make sure that whenever those, whoever's coming out, whatever kid's coming, I try and make it a, a memorable experience. You know, whether it was like tossing them the hockey puck in like, in warm up over the glass, or like giving them a big fight, giving them a big show. Um, so, in that sense, I, you know, I, I thought I just want to give the fans their money, but then I didn't expect that you'd see this like sort of close connection with with the booster club and and stuff like that. You know, I I kind of thought of it as one sided, like I, I'm just there to entertain them. And what I wasn't prepared for was like how many awesome people I met in the U.S., like how many awesome people, you know, were such huge followers of the game and, and just knew us on a personal level, you know. So uh, anyway, I, I cherish my time down in the U.S. I miss it. Uh, I, I've got three young kids, uh, seven, five, and three-year-old, and I tell them all the time about, you know, how nice, you know, different, you know, the cities were that I played and how I want to bring them back someday. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, it's one of those things like, uh, I'll be taking them down and make the, uh, the journey through the old, uh, like Toledo and Wheeling and Augusta and, right uh, hopefully <laughs> get to see the old fans, yeah. Exactly, man. Well, fuck you. I mean, you could still at least, uh, well, I think, wait, does Wheeling still have the Nailers? This, I, th- I think they're still a team. Uh, I think so. I'm not sure. I know, I know Toledo's uh, got I the walleye. Yeah, exactly. And they got the new arena. Yeah. Uh, I still hear from the fans down there. A lot of people, you know, some people like the new game and they, they follow. Some people miss, you know, the old-time hockey and, and sort of a uh, grittier hockey, you know, rougher hockey. But uh, it is what it is. Uh, the hockey, Toledo's an awesome hockey town, and uh, the fans deserve the very best. You know, like we played in the old sports arena, and I loved it. Like, I when I walked into that place and uh, so. Uh, funny way I got there I, I my first year of pro hockey was in uh, Thunder Bay yep. and then the next year my agent said you know if you want to get called up you got to get down in the US you got to get to the East Coast League so I end up uh, some team really had seen my uh, you know my my penalty minutes from uh, Thunder Bay it was uh, Birmingham the Birmingham Bulls yep. and uh, in Coast League so I went down there for a month and we had a you know, a really tough team. Um, we had uh, Yannick Renault was a tough guy out of Quebec. We had uh, Dennis Pinfold, Mike Berry, uh, Tyler Prasovsky. Like, we had this nucleus of all these tough guys, and we just, like, it, it was similar to being in uh, Thunder Bay, like, where, you know, we, we had each other's back no matter who went on the ice or who was going. If somebody got beat, somebody was coming back out for that guy the next time if he was on the ice. Uh, and I, I was thrilled to be there. And then uh, just a, a strain, like after one of the games, a coach called me in and uh, I'd taken a penalty and I thought he was going to give me shit for uh, taking the penalty. He's like, well, kid, I've traded you. I was like, 
like part of me was thrilled like i was like fuck i'm a hockey player like i just got traded you know like, right as a you, you you want to be a pro hockey player and anyway so uh i thought it was part of me thought it was awesome but part of me was you know obviously sad and like i was gonna miss the guys so but i, I just said like well okay well where did you trade me he's like i said um you're going to toledo i'm like geez okay toledo where's that He's like, it's in Ohio. I'm like, fuck, where's that? He's like, don't worry about it. You're going to be closer to Canada. You'll be closer to home. You'll love it. They're going to love you there. I was like, all right. So anyway, I so the next, you know, the next day I fly out. And he's like, things are going to move quick. You got to, you know, they want you there tomorrow. You're going to be on the plane at 7 in the morning. I was like, whatever, you know. I show up the next day. I go to Toledo. Um, I call my agent. And, uh. I'm like, yeah, I got traded last night. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I honestly, I don't know about this place. Like, it's it's definitely not like the South. It's like, it's definitely blue-collar town. He's like, uh, no, no. He goes, this is good. They love their tough guys in Toledo. I'm like, yeah, but I, honestly, I don't know how this is going to work out. Like, my first feeling, gut feeling was like, oh, this, I honestly don't think it's going to work out here. And then, uh, but my first game, like, I'll never forget, like, you know, going to this old rink, and one of the first things I heard about it, I'm a huge Elvis fan, and they were like, yeah, Elvis played here in something like 1955 or 1953. I'm like, holy shit, like, I'm in a building that Elvis played in. So I was like, as far as the mojo, I was like, this is good. This, like, that's a good sign. And then uh, I get out of the dressing room, and you have to walk, like, through the corridor and then up some stairs into the stands and then down some stairs down to the ice. And when you do that, or when you did that at that time, like, I just remember coming out and there was a huge cloud of smoke, like over the ice. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> I guess they could, they allow people to smoke like in the corridor in the hallways, but it would like walk through the, uh, the oh, doorways. And that's, <laughs> yeah. I was, like, I was like, holy shit. Like I've never seen anything like this. And then, uh, and then the fans were just rabbits. Like when we got out there, they just loved us. Uh, I remember our bench was was like a normal hockey bench, but then instead of having like boards or glass behind us, there was just a rope. Like there was a yellow rope between like between me and I was like looking over my shoulder, and there was like kids and their parents and like, crazy fans like sitting right behind me. It was just like a surreal place to play. It was awesome. Like I honestly couldn't ask for a, like a better place to kind of cut my teeth in, in pro hockey. And uh, and then when as soon as the fight started, like my I knew what my role was. So like every time I went out there, I was just asking somebody to fight. Like I, and again, like that part of that entertainment factor of like just giving them a show. Like I'd try and do that, and then like they just ate it up like they and i don't know i always felt just like a, a connection in that town where i think they respected that i was kind of a blue collar hockey player like i was i wasn't the most skilled guy but i just went out there trying to just hit something and fight something try and spark something and uh that's a real hard working town and i think like we just had this connection and like uh it was honestly one of my favorite places to play. It was just uh, an amazing town. The people off the ice, you know, there was a lot of people um, 
working in the factories and uh, just working blue collar jobs. And uh, it was, just, I loved it. I, you know, I loved it. The, the girls in town were, were good looking. The, the girls at Hooters. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was about to say, was that where you got your, uh, your lovely Hooters gal? What it was, it was uh, there you go. It was a staple, you know. It was a staple after the game for the boys to go and uh, you know have some wings and have some pints and uh, that. And there was uh, this restaurant that we used to call uh, Eggs and Legs. And uh, anyway, I, you know, as a twenty-three-year-old, twenty-two-year-old guy, it, you couldn't ask for a better place to play than Toledo, Ohio. I gotta say that. So, and uh, you know, I had uh, a great manager there too. Pat Pelletier was a tough guy when he played, and he was a young general manager. And uh, I remember him when I met him there. He, you know, I wanted. I was always number three as a kid. Like, and I so I asked him. I'm like, he's like, what number do you want? I'm like, well, number three is that available? And he's like, you can't have that number. That's my number. I was like, okay. <laughs> so he, he ended up giving me nine. And then it was, you know, just one of those things. Like, you know, like when you see the old videos now, like number nine, my son is number nine now when he plays hockey. Uh, anyway, it's just, it was one of those things. It was like uh, the stars aligned and, it, it, you know, we were able to, in my mind, like as far as fighting, like I had some of my best fights ever in that, in that bar. You know, it was just, uh, a great place to play. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I played for a coach there that I could not stand, uh, Murray Eves. He was, uh, and I didn't, like, of course, as a, as a young hockey player, you don't know who your coach is, where where he's come from. But then afterwards, I, I, I came to realize that he was like a, a pure goal scorer in the American Hockey League. And right. Very perfect, very, very good, very good hockey player. But obviously didn't appreciate the uh, the toughness or the role that I played, you know, and that's uh, that's not always good. But thank thank God I had the uh, you know the manager, the GM had my back. Pat Pat was just an awesome guy. So right on, man. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so that's uh, that was kind of the days in Toledo. Um, and then uh, yeah, I don't know. Going going back to yeah. Thunder Bay real quick, man. You played with yeah. one dude who I wanted to ask you about. Uh, okay. He was in the uh, you know the old Tough Guys documentary and broke the uh, the fight record, but it was one Mister Kevin Holiday. What was it like playing with him? Holly was awesome. Like he like he and I. You both led the uh, team in pims. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I so a funny story. So that's how I got my start in pro hockey. Was like Thunder Bay. So what happened was, uh, I, a long story, but I got kicked out of university. I was playing university here in Canada. Um, I got into a fight with a couple fans at another university, like during a game when I got kicked out. Then I got, I went to junior A, like hockey. I was still like, we're talking like a month later. That's when I was playing uh, for a coach, uh, Trevor Steinberg. And he's the one that was telling me not to fight. He's like, don't fight for 10 games. And, uh, he goes, we've got to let your name cool down. What had happened, I got off, I was playing for St. Mary's, I'm playing against Dalhousie. I go off the ice and a couple drunk guys are standing there and they won't let me by, they're standing in my way. And so uh, I say, excuse me, and they, uh, I go to walk around and then they move in front of me. And then I just kind of push my way through and like I was on my skates and both these guys were bigger, like taller than me and one guy was way heavier. So the heavy set guy goes, um, 
I push my way through and he goes, uh, you just keep walking, hockey player. I got a package for your mama. And he grabs his, grabs his balls. I was like, I, I kind of look, I, by this time I'm like one or two steps past him. And I think, oh, fuck it. I turn around, I'm like, what'd you say? And he's like, you heard me, hockey player. You got it. I got a package for your mama. And so then I start taking a step towards him and he thought I was like going to hit him with my stick or something. He goes, yeah, you think you're pretty tough with that hockey stick, don't you? And I just dropped my stick and I said something like, you still think I'm tough? And he started to talk and I just fucking hammered him. But his his nose exploded. It was just blood everywhere. And (laughs) it looked really bad. But I'm sure it was just because he was so pissed drunk. But what happened was, I'm in the visiting rink and like all the stands flood down, like all these students come like flooding down like an angry mob. And, uh, and it's just mayhem. Like I'm trying to fight my way out of it. And I'm just honestly, like I was stepping on, I remember stepping on this girl's foot and she was crying. And anyway, it's just total mayhem. They finally, the, the security usher me back to my dressing room the team, there were like nine seconds left in the game, so the team comes in, and, and, uh, and sure enough, there's a knock at the door, and it's the cops. And I'm like, it's like something out of slap shot. And I'm like, I remember my teammate turning to me, and he's like, he's like, fuck, Tasker, I can't believe you hit a fan. I'm like, wow, fuck, it was, they were fucking hitting me too, you know? He's like, you're going to jail. <laughs> like, like, I was like, I don't know, 20 years old, 19 years old at the time. Like, oh my God, like, I do not want to go to jail. Anyway, uh, turns out my coach cut a deal with the cops, said, look, like, we don't want to release him. You know, we, don't, we do not want this player. Uh, his name was uh, Paul Boudelier. Was the, uh, he won the Stanley Cup, like, at 18 years old with uh, New York Islanders. But uh, awesome guy, him and my assistant coach, um, Chris Larson, they got me, uh, so basically what they did, they smuggled me out the back door, and my roommate, funny enough, I wasn't living on campus, I was living, uh, but I was living with the goaltender of the other team, and uh, so his parents pull up in a minivan, and like, they have like jackets over my head, and it looked like, uh, you know, somebody being escorted into court, you know, anyway, they, they usher me into the, uh, the van and take me off, and uh I never got, I never did get charged or anything, but I did get kicked out of university. My, uh, my school, you know, told me I was a black mark on their reputation. Right. Kicked me out. So, uh, so this happened, say, like November, uh, maybe December. And, uh, so then I, I get an agent because all kinds of teams, then all kinds of junior teams wanted me to play for them. And, uh, <laughs> they hear about the dude who punched a fan, and all of a sudden you're getting all these offer letters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm getting like uh, it. Well, it was on like national news down there. It was a pretty big deal down there, right? Like uh, you wouldn't hear about it in the U.S. or anything. But so anyway, then uh, and uh, I so I end up playing for this junior coach, Trevor Steinberg, and he goes, um, he goes, listen, you got to. And my agent at the same time is like, we got to let your name cool down. We got to show people that you're not an animal. You know, basically, that you're not this guy who just beats up fans. I'm like, okay. So they're like, you cannot fight anybody for 10 games. I go, okay, sure enough. So 10 games, well, you can imagine, like, as a fighter going around, like, how many invitations? I've got this big oh, game, right. you know, fighting fans. 
Like, I had a lineup of just tough guys and, like, egging me on every game. And I just keep telling them, 10 games. I'll see you in 10 games. And I, I can't remember the guy's name, but this guy was just a complete asshole and would, like, rub my nose in it every time. I'm like, I'm fucking telling you, in game 10, you're getting it. And sure enough, game it just happened to be, like, the 10th game. I end up playing this kid, and... uh we we go at it and it was a, a like good spirited battle. My I definitely had the upper hand. We end up falling on the ground. The fucking guy goes to break my eyes, goes to put his finger in my eye. So I reach out and I jam my thumb in his eye and I just fucking go as hard as I can. I just hear him screaming, "Get your finger out of my eye!" I'm like, "Fuck you! You got me first. I'm fucking getting you!" Like, so I have my thumb just buried in his socket and. Uh, and then all of a sudden, like, in the corner of my eye, I, I look, I can see, like, the the melee kind of breaking up. And here it's the guy that I was fighting that I had my thumb in his eye. He's skating out of the scrum. And I, I pull my hand back right away, and it turns out it was the linesman. <laughs> so, and this is, like, 10 games later. It's probably two months after, like, the uh, the university thing. And uh, they just fucking throw the book at me. I met like so this Trevor Steinberg, such an awesome, like such a beauty. He's like he's talking to me in the in the car ride to the hearing for this like this whole fucking eye gouging the lines and thing. And uh, what had happened was I was um, as I'm skating off the ice, the the other lines and skating like taking me off, and then their bench starts taunting me. So I pull away from the lines and I take a charge at their bench. And then fucking, you know, you know, they pull me down, haul me off the ice. So now I'm, I have to have a hearing before like Nova Scotia hockey. It's, you know, it's kind of like the province uh, down east. So on the car ride, Steiny's going, now listen, just stick to the script. Just tell them you're sorry. You absolutely did not mean to, you know, you did not know it was a linesman and, you know, it'll never happen again. And you just, you know, it was just a horrible mistake. And so, and right. like, he keeps going for this narrative, right? So I get in there and they ask us, okay, so like, you know, what happened? Like, why, you know, why did you eye gouge in the lines? And I go, you know, it was a horrible mistake. I, I go over the word for word. And then he goes, okay, you know, I, I get that that's a mistake. But here in the video, and he like plays a video, he's like, but here, you know, you're subdued, they're taking you off the ice, and then you charge their bench. He goes, how do you explain that? And I, I look at my coach, and he's, he's kind of, like, just looking at me, like, please, just keep quiet. Like, just, you know, stick to the script. And, I like, for some reason, I just go, well, you know, like, there's people that, like, poke dogs that are in cages or on the other side of the bench, like, they'll antagonize them because the dog's on the other side of the fence and they can't catch them. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, it's kind of like that. Like their coach was yelling at me from the bench and their guys are on the bench and they see that I'm held back by a linesman. So they don't think that I can get them, but you know, I think every now and then, every now and again, that dog's going to bite somebody. Right. And then I just, I look over at my coach and he's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> So I come out, he's like, 
what about sticking to the script? I'm like, <laughs> well, I just answered it honestly. I said, like, I stuck to the script, but then I gave my, like, we're fucked. <laughs> sure enough. They, they, uh, they can, they, they said like, I suspended for the rest of the season or, you know, 20 games, whichever is longest. They, I was not allowed to play hockey in Nova Scotia again after that. So, um, anyway, so uh, these two things happen and who hears about it? Who's from the East coast is, uh, John Brophy. So, uh, he, he had, he started like, licking his chops, hearing about this kid getting kicked out of Nova Scotia hockey, getting kicked out of, you know, university. So he started calling me all summer, telling me to come down to Hampton Roads. So uh, that's where I started. I tried out for them, and uh, like he started bag skating me in the morning, like two a days before the even. So we'd have our regular skates for the tryouts, and then he'd have a, a session just for me. And uh, I honestly thought for sure I was going to make the team, but he calls me in one day and says that, I'm cut. So uh, I, I asked him, I said, well, fuck. Like, and I thought, you know, if I was, he's like, you're a project player and I can't keep a project player. A guy from the AHL just came down. So I got to let you go. And so I said, okay, but can I use you as a reference then? And what do you advise I do? And he says, well, I'd get on the phone right now. I'd call every team. And he goes, everybody's going to be making cuts right now. So it's going to be tough, but if there's somebody interested in a tough guy and I'll give you a good recommendation. I said, okay. So on the way down, when I flew from Halifax down to, uh, to Hampton Roads, I got bumped from a flight and from Delta Airlines and they gave me a, a free ticket anywhere in the continental U.S. And, like I could go anywhere. And so when uh, Brof cut me, I called a bunch of teams and all of a sudden one team said, well, i got a bunch of guys in camp here, but if you can get yourself here, then I'll give you a look, and, uh, but no guarantees. So mm-hmm. I go, all right. So I, I called Brof and I said, look, uh, a team in Flint, Michigan is willing to give me a tryout. He's like, go for it. So I used my free ticket anywhere in the U.S. to go from Hanson Rose to Flint, Michigan. And, like, I'd never been to Flint, Michigan I get there and it's just, you know, just raw. You could tell like it was a, a town that had been through a rough time. Uh, I played for uh, Robbie Nichols for like two or three days. I, I didn't even play. I just practiced. And after three days of practice, he just cut me. So I thought that was the, the end of my career. My I had an uncle that was going to give me a chance to uh, work for Bell, Bell Canada up here in Canada. Right. And, uh, so I went back to my dad's place in Hamilton, and uh, there happened to be a, a UHL game going on. It was uh, Thunder Bay versus uh, uh, Brantford. It was a Brantford smoke. And uh, my old man says, you know, like, you know, you got your, your option. You know, why don't you just start working and make some money? And I was like, no, I, you know, I still want to play hockey, but I don't know how to do it. Anyway, he suggested, he goes, well, why don't you make a, a resume and then uh, go to the game and then uh, give, them your, give them your resume and see what they say. So that's what I did. I, you know, it was so weird. Like, I went, so here I am as a fan. I'm at the game watching the game. After the game, I go up to the coaches, and uh, uh, both, at, both teams were heading out on the bus after the game. So I give uh, the Bradford coach 
uh, my resume, and he, he says, okay, yeah, I like this. So I'll be right back. He goes in one door of the dressing room and then goes out the other door and gets on the bus. I was like, oh, fuck, shady. Like, I'm like, I was already embarrassed. Like, here, all the, all the guys are with their gear and everything, and here I am standing kind of like hot in hand looking for a trial, you know? Right. And uh, then I go to the, the Thunder Bay coach, and I do the same thing. And he, he looks at he looks me in the eye, and I said, look, I said, uh, Brophy said he'd, he'd give me a recommendation, so if you want, give him a call, and then uh, give me a call if, if you're interested. He's like, I'll tell you right now, he goes, we're 0-7. He goes, uh, if this continues, uh, I think at the time he was 0-6. He goes, if this continues, I'd stay close to your phone. And uh, sure enough, like that week, I went all week. I didn't hear anything, so I left Hamilton. I came back to Ottawa. And I remember I was, like, talking to my mom, and I was, like, I was, like, literally ready to break down. Like, like, tears in my eyes. I was, like, Mom, I don't understand. Like, I've done everything. I've worked out. I've, you know, I'm in the best shape of my life and uh, fought everybody. I don't know. Like, I don't know, Ken. I don't know why things happen that way. And, like, literally, like, those words were said, and the phone rings. And it was one of those moments, like, I pick it up and it's my grandmother from Hamilton. She's like, Thunder Bay wants you to uh, meet them at the airport in Toronto. I was like, oh my God. Like, honestly, it was like something out of a movie. Right. Like, it literally, as I'm talking, my mom, Thunder Bay calls. And uh, so I meet them at the airport and uh, we play Winston Salem uh, the next night. And uh, I'm out on the ice. And I knew my job, like I, I was there to be a tough guy. And I, I bump into this little guy out on the ice, and I, um, he says something like "fuck you." And I look at him like "fuck you." You want to go? And he just starts fucking losing his mind, and I'm like, "Okay, it's on then." So we end up the, you know, on the faceoff, the the refs drop the puck, and we have a good fight, and I have the the upper hand on it. I come back to the penalty box, and I'm like, uh, one of the old vets was in the penalty box. I'm like, he's like, good job, kid. I'm like, yeah, thanks. But do you think, like, the coach is going to think that's a cop-out? Like, the guy was smaller than me. He's like, are you fucking crazy? That's Trevor Sen. He's the leading penalty minute leader of the whole league. He goes, you got a job for the rest of the year, bud. <laughs> and like, this is a I was like, oh, fuck, that's awesome. So, like, my first pro fight was against Trevor Sen, and I, like, I had no idea who he was. But, like, that was the start of a long, like, history of, of Trevor Sen and Ken Tosca. Like, every time we'd see each other, we'd fight. And, it, like, one time he'd win, one time I'd win, you know. And then uh, it just, we just end up, we kept crossing paths for the rest of our career. Right. Well, fucking A, so, man. Well, you got your shot and you made it, you made it count <laughs> going out and fighting yeah, center well, like that. Yeah, well, when I so when in Thunder Bay is where uh, like Kevin Holiday was, uh, and a lot of guys that I end up uh, playing with there, you know, would start out with other teams like uh, Jason Payne, huge tough guy. He was actually in Flint when I was there, but he ended up getting traded to Thunder Bay. But I had fought him at the beginning of the season, and then he ended up getting traded to Thunder Bay. But uh, Kevin Holiday, like it was just one of those things. Like we had a pact: if you go, I go. And we just, every time we stepped on the ice and like, uh, like I said, like if somebody got the better of him or if somebody got the better of me, he was right over the bench on the next ship 
asking that guy to go. And that's the way we we just had pure team toughness. Uh, Jason Payne, same thing. Like he'd be out there, and you know, guys were just shit scared of us. You know that you, you hear like different flus. Well, there was definitely a Thunder Bay flu. Guys, right. we'd we'd be braced for a, a big you know fight, and then all of a sudden they'd have a bunch of guys you know like on the IR, not playing on the game. You know. But uh, that's where we played Quad Cities, uh, yep. too. Like they had some tough, tough guys there too. Like that was a tough town to play in. But that uh, that U-Haul was um, one of the toughest leagues I've ever played in. Um, it had Andy Bezo. I don't know if you've ever seen him, but yes, I have. He is tough as nails. He hit me the hard, like gave me the worst punch I've ever taken. Um, and he, that's another guy, right? Like so in Thunder Bay, like. So what the head coach was Kevin Devine. He goes, uh, he pulls me aside. He goes, look, because I know, you know, you're new. He goes, but if, if you want a place in this league, he goes, you go down the roster before the game, you find out who's got the most penalty minutes on the other team, and then you make a point to go with him during the game. He goes, if you do that game in and game out, I won't be able to cut you even if I want to because you're going to have the fans on your side. You're going to have your team on your side. They're going to know that you're going to go to battle every night. So I said, okay. So that's what I did every game. So um, I think it was Muskegon had uh, Bezel, and they had uh, Rob Melanson, a whole bunch of tough guys, uh, the Feesby brothers. Like, it was just nuts. But uh, everybody's warning me about Andy Bezel, Andy Bezel. And I'm thinking, like, here's this guy going to look like a brick shit house. Like, when I get out there, and all of a sudden, I see this little guy skating around with Bezo, and I'm like, okay, that's got to be like the little brother. <laughs> I'm looking for a big tall guy, and I'm like, fuck, but that's Bezo. There's no way that can be him. Like, You're out there looking for fucking Ogie Oglethorpe out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm looking for a monster, and there's this guy. He looks like like a like a teenage hockey player out there. And so I get out. I'm like, okay, whatever. I get out on the face off. I get beside him, and I'm like a young buck. You know, I don't know any better. I'm fucking smiling. I'm like, hey, you want to go? And he looks at me. You want to fucking go? I'll fucking kill you. And I, I look at him. I'm like, holy fuck, man. He's like, he's one of the guys. His eyes are all bloodshot. He's just pure fucking anger. I'm like, holy fuck, man. Simmer down. Simmer. I'm like, as soon as the puck dropped, he just started fucking firing jackhammers and i was like holy fuck he hit me in my ear and it it just it felt horrible i was like what the fuck was that do not get hit with one of those again and anyway i think he he probably won that fight i can't remember all i remember is my ear just fucking killed me when i got i came back to the bench i was like i was just holding my ear and i I just remember going like going deaf in that ear, and I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I'm like, whatever he hit me with, like, it's not good. So I go to the the trainer's room, and what happened was he corked me in my ear so hard that he fucking made the ear canal swell shut. So <laughs> Jesus I was Christ, I was going deaf because my ear was swollen shut, and so uh, they're like, that's a that's a big problem. You gotta go to the hospital right away. I'm like, fuck. So I go to the hospital and they start fucking drawing fluid out of my ear 
they've got so the, the way the ear goes is like uh, the way cauliflower ear goes for all those like ultimate fighters is that it swells up but then there's no way for the body to reabsorb the water right. so it ends up calcifying and that's how they get cauliflower well that's essentially what it was happening to me but it was happening to my ear canal so what do they have to do they just go in with needle after needle after needle drawing fluid out and there for some reason there's no way at that time they were telling me there's no way to freeze the ear so i'm just getting like huge needle after needle in my ear and i'm just like thinking god almighty why the fuck did that guy hit me in the ear you know <laughs> so it was one of the worst injuries i ever had so and it lasted for weeks and so finally what happened was uh i think during the christmas break i came back to ottawa and they were still doing this, like, drawing the fluid out. And they're like, okay, what needs to happen is you need to sew a button to your ear. I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, basically what you got to do is we got to draw all the fluid out. And we got to sew a piece of plastic on the inside and a piece of plastic on the outside so it won't swell anymore. And that's the only way to keep you from going deaf. I was like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, all right. So they sew this piece of plastic to my ear. And they're like, no fighting for four weeks. I'm like, okay. And like every time I'm just cursing fucking Andy Beasel. I'm like, Jesus Christ, who punches anybody in the ear anyway, you know? Like, <laughs> just going on fucking Beasel, man. It's just fucking yeah. going on. Oh, shit. Yeah, so, so, then, so uh, anyway, so, so what happens, I have this piece of plastic. So then they put an extra piece of plastic over my helmet. And I'm, I'm skating around like a fucking idiot, you know? Like I, I'm skating around as a fighter with a piece of plastic over my ear and like I'm just getting carved every time I get on the ice. So like, take that fucking thing off, Mickey Mouse. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, the whole time. Meanwhile, I know I can't fight because I, like, I honestly have a potential going deaf in that ear. Uh, so anyway, but being in the United Hockey League, like there was like bench clean brawls and line brawls and I'll never forget fucking fighting Muskegon. One of the Feastie brothers, I end up getting tangled up with him, and I'm just thinking, okay, just keep your helmet on and don't get fucking hit in the ear again, you know? So what happens? <laughs> I end up falling to the ground, and I'm still, like, locked up trying to tie him up, and the fucking second Feastie brother comes in and doesn't need to take my helmet off and starts jamming his fucking finger in my ear. Oh. Like, like something out of WWF, you know? I was like, and I just went fucking nuts, like, but anyway, it's just that that league was like something like a slap shot, you know. It was it was awesome. There's a ton of tough guys. Uh, Jason Renard, like uh, that was the very first dad. fucking player interview I ever had. Oh really? Eh? Oh yeah. Like from what I, from what I know, like I've, I've seen him cross paths with him over the years. Like just an awesome guy, tough as nails, and uh, and just a huge human being, you know, like. But awesome, awesome tough guy. Um, my dad had come up from uh, from Ontario, like from uh, Hamilton, to watch me in Thunder Bay. And doesn't he get there and see me take on Jason Renard as like I'm like a young 21 year old or whatever, right? And here's Jason Renard, looks like a fucking like a, a bull, you know, just no neck, huge jaw, huge face on him. And he just fucking pounds me into the ice, giving me, like, my my first, like, well, maybe my second legitimate concussion. But anyway, I was just like, well, my dad sees me get hammered by him. He's like, I don't know if you want to keep doing this, Ken. 
I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, by then, I'm already in with uh, the boys, like the tough guys, you know, and I just knew it was right. like par for the So, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I end up rooming with uh, with Holly for a long time. Uh, it was awesome. We Like, as rookies, those guys would literally party till like, 7 in the morning. Holy and God. it showed me what, what it is to be a true professional because they would party till 7 in the morning. They'd get up and skate, and all you'd just smell was the booze coming out in the sweat. <laughs> but they would look awesome. Like, they were just true professionals. It was like, okay, if you're going to party, but you got to produce on the ice. And then those guys, like you said, like those guys in the uh, in Thunder Bay and the U-Haul, like we had, you know, five of them score, at least three or four score over 100 points. But they'd booze hard at the rookie's house and then go out and produce on the ice. It was like... It was uh, a great initiation into pro hockey, and uh, I learned a lot from. That's awesome, man. Well, fucking a, uh-huh. well, we got lucky here because I was actually able. I, I was, you know, doing some searching. I was able to find your fight card here. I was able to get it back from the wayback machine. So I got all everybody you fought okay. except for except for some dudes out in the U-Haul league. I, I I missed a lot of them. The only one that's got down for you is Trevor Sen, and a couple others. Oh yeah. But I was able to okay. pull them up, so here we go. Let's see. Okay. Who we, oh, we'll do some scrolling. Sure. Um, oh, actually, one one I definitely wanted to ask you about is actually a fight that you had with the last guest on the show, Mike Segroy. You fought him from oh, yeah. the bench, or he? Excuse me. I think he was on the bench, and you fought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was. That was when I was in. Uh, I believe it was in, I was in Augusta. Yes, you were. And uh, he was with um, the generals. Um, can't remember. Anyway, they were called the Generals. Greensboro, yeah. yeah. And uh, so what happened was, uh, here I am, you know, the, the tough guy. I'm out in warm-up, and uh, he's fucking eyeballing me in warm-up, right? Like, a lot of this fighting starts, like, the mind games start right in warm-up. Like, they start as soon as you get off the ice. If you see them in the hallway, you're, like, eyeballing them. You're, like, you're showing, like, fuck you, you know? Like, I'm here to fucking take your women and, and fucking win the two points kind of thing, you know? Right. Like, uh, so in warm-up, Scroy is, is uh, skating around, and so is Trevor Gillies. And uh, this is before Trevor Gillies. Like, Trevor Gillies was a skilled defenseman. Like, a lot of people don't understand. There was a time when he was just, like, he wasn't fucking huge the way he was when he was in the American League in the, the NHL. Like, he was just a... Uh, a slight young defenseman. So in warm-up, uh, Scroy, uh, he's eyeballing me and fucking, you know, it's kind of like the slap shot warm-up where we're skating around, we're getting closer and closer together. So then Scroy and Gillies are skating right beside one another and I wheel right past them and doesn't fucking Gillies punch me in the shoulder and knock me down to the ice. And then like all, like, the two teams like break everything up. Right. And so, uh, I'm like, fuck that. Like somebody's fucking getting it opening face off. And sure enough, like my coach puts me in, in the starting, starting lineup. So, uh, I'm like, I don't care what happens, but I'm going for fucking Gillies. Like he's on the back D and, uh, he's like right in line with me. I'm right wing and he's playing his left D and 
I'm like, I don't give a fuck where the puck goes. I'm going straight at him. He just fucking embarrassed me in warm-up. So the puck goes from the centerman back to his D partner on the other side, and then the D partner passes it to Gillies. And I just go straight through fucking Gillies and cross-check him in the face. And I'm like, and then he's like laying on the ground. I'm like, I'm fucking trying to get him to get up and fight. And, uh, it was, it was absolutely a, a cheap shot, but I was like, fuck you. If you're going to, you know, do that, like all the, um, the code is out the window kind of thing, you know? Right. Exactly. So this, this happens and, uh, and then they obviously kicked me out and, uh, and then I'm skating off the ice and Scroy is fucking losing it from the bench. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you're not fucking, you know, you were, you were basically up to bullshit in the warm up too. So I skate over to the bench and that's where we end up teeing off on each other. And, uh, and it's funny, like, cause when the normally, like, like I said, like in junior or the U-Haul, like if you fight next to the bench, like you're getting fucking hammered from everybody on the bench, right? Like they just swarm whoever's at the bench. But not their team. Everybody backed off and, like, let me and Scroy, like, throw toe-to-toe. And uh, it just happened that there was a, a photographer in the um, in the rafters and got, like, this perfect shot, like, from above where, like, I'm landing a punch on Scroy and you see, like, my name and you see, uh, see us fighting on the bench. Anyway... In Augusta, that guy... I know exactly what picture you're talking about. My buddy over yeah. at Fourth Line Voice had it, and I think I posted that in the group for, like, forever ago when the group first started oh. out. But, yeah, I know exactly what picture you're talking about, man. But, but it was awesome, you know? Like, and, so, and like, to backtrack a little bit, I ended up leaving Toledo because Scroy was trying out, and they were like, yeah, we got this MMA fighter. And I was like, fuck, like, who is this guy? You know, like, we didn't end up... Uh, like scrimmaging or anything like so we never end up fighting in camp but uh what happened was like when i got to camp they're like yeah we're good we got this guy i was like fuck that so i already had a bone to pick when i end up playing he ended up i think getting traded from toledo down to greensboro and that was the first time i ever got like cross paths with him but i already had sort of a burn in my saddle because i'd lost my job in toledo to this young tough guy and obviously i didn't know he was going to go on to become like such a prolific fighter at the time. It was just like this fucking guy took my job right. and he was fucking beacon me in warm up. Like I'm going to serve it to him, you know, but he's as tough as anybody. Like we, we had a good, good fight there. I was on the ice. He was on the bench and I'd say it was a draw, you know? Um, but back then you, you didn't really know. Like we'd see some of the older tough guys, but we, we just kind of, we're going through whoever was coming in front of us. That's the way it was, you know, like back then, whoever was the tough guy, it didn't matter, you know. And back then, we didn't have YouTube or anything. Like, all guys had was, like, VHS fight tapes, you know. Right. So some guy on the team might have a fight tape of a, a guy from the other team where, you know, all we'd be doing is we'd go through the list on the roster and we'd say, okay, did anybody fight? you know, like a scroise, a lefty, a righty, you know, and you try and get just a little bit of feedback from the guys that might have played against him or seen him fight at some point. Nowadays, like, if I had this, it'd be like a a full game tape of, you know, just watching fight guys 
watching how guys fight and, and try and come up with a strategy on how to beat them, you know? Right. Fucking, yeah, we're, we're spoiled now with YouTube and hockey fights. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It, I couldn't imagine, like, you, you have a whole arsenal. You know, you just have years and years of, of tape on guys. Like, you just, you know, I, I think, you know, it's like anything. you never know in a fight. You never know if you're going to take a bad punch. I think most of the time that's most of us are, that's what we fear, right? Like, we don't really fear... I mean, there's times when, you know, you're looking at somebody like Donald Brashear or, you know, uh, Mitch Fritz or, like, I was, you know, I used to fight Todd Fedoric, and, like, you're looking at a big human being, you know, and you're like, fuck, like, this is going to hurt, you know? But at the same time, I'm not going to fucking give up an ounce because, you know, the second that you concede anything, like, the fucking fight's over, you know? So you just go, I'm going to go through that guy no matter what. You know, but you know that sometimes you're going to leave with a piece missing kind of thing. So um, a lot of those guys, uh, like like now, I'm sure, you know, they they would know how to fight Ryan Reeves. But it's that one punch that you don't catch or you don't grab his sleeve. The one that gets through is going to do the damage, right? Exactly. I used to, when I was in uh, Toledo, I used to fight a guy named Alexander Uden. He was a tough guy for uh, wheeling. Yep, I was about to ask and, you about him. You had like a few rounds with oh, that motherfucker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did, He's right here yeah, in my notes. I, oh, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, so he was, uh, so I was in Toledo, and it was my second year playing for Toledo. And out of nowhere comes this name, Uden. And the guys were like, my coach, uh, Scott Gordon was his name. He goes, Kenny, stay away from that guy. He's NHL top. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks, I appreciate it. You know, thanks for a heads up. Like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, fuck that. Like, NHL tough. Like, yeah, I'm going for this fucker. <laughs> yeah, every guy wants, like, let's see who's tougher, you know? So uh, what happens was, you know, I I bump into him, like, first shift, and I look at him, and I'm like, you want to go? And he doesn't even speak English. He just nods, yes. I'm like, okay. But I fucking grab him. I just instinctively like before we got going i grab him i grab his arm i grab his like with my left i grab his right and i just fucking tee off on this guy punch after punch after punch and i fucking go through him and you could tell he was trying to get out of the seatbelt i'm like fuck that like his strategy his technique and i fucking win that fight so clean and then i get back to the bench and they're like NHL tough who? Who the fuck is that guy? You just beat the fuck out. I'm like, yeah, it's fucking honestly one of my easiest fights ever. And then, uh, and so then that's in Wheeling. And then like literally the next week I play him in Toledo and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, fucking right. So I'm going to get the fans a show. I'm going to beat the fuck out of this big Russian. And uh, so we square off. I go to reach in and grab. No, I miss. I miss that right bomb, and he just fucking floors me into the ice with it, like punch after punch after punch. And so I forget exactly what the sequence was. Somebody, I'm sure, has the data on it, but it was like I fought Uden one night. I fought Jason Payne the next night. He was in Dayton. And honest to God, like that year, my nose got broken over 20 times. It was just getting driven from one side of my face to the other. Oh. And so bad that, like, I wasn't even bothering or going to see the doctor. I was just going into the mirror and I was just pushing it back myself. It was just like, it was just like Play Doh. 
And uh, so the the one fight you see on where Yudin is like just literally pummels me in like three three punches into the ice. Um, that was one night. The next night I had Sen, and then the next week I faced Yudin again, and that's the one. I don't know if you ever seen like video, but or the pictures, but I'm just covered in blood. But it's because he tagged me with the first punch again, and like my nose just didn't have a chance to set from fighting the week before. And it's a long fight. He does tag me like a few times, but I'm just a bloody mess. And it's just like like that year. I just I think that year I might have had like the 400 minutes. I was just like, yes, it was. I don't care what's happening my body like whether my hands are sore my face is sore like i'm i'm going to be fighting anyway you know and it's just like and like that's where you earn respect but at the same time like he earned my respect i was like fuck like that's a big russian no matter how hard i tried i could not get inside on him and i could not hit him i i really i like handedly won the first fight but then you could tell he was fucking coming back to set like settle the score and he did you know and I, I respect that. Like, uh, I bring it, you know, when I was fighting back in the day, I'd bring it every fight, and I wouldn't, you know, uh, if I take a if I take a loss, I take a loss. And, like, that's just the way it goes. You know, it means more to me, like, the fact that you stand up and you stand in there and you show up. And uh, that's the way I would look at, you know, I, I never, I never, uh, like, just out-and-out beat guys the way, you know, Tony Twistwood or Stu Grimson or, you know, um, the boogeyman, you know, like, uh, those, they would fucking just pummel somebody. They would, you know, punch through. I was always, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Like they, and they're just big, strong, scary human beings, you know? And, uh, for me, I would just, I was more like a badger, you know, like I'd, I'd be in there and, like you might hit like I'm definitely going to take some shots but I'm going to try and take a piece out of you in doing so you know like I, I would never back down and and uh yeah I had my roommate was uh Sean Mulkey in Toledo and I remember him him saying you know like you cannot fight wide open like that like you just can't and I was like to me I didn't know any different I was like I just that's just the way I fight like did, like, the, did it just come to you not, naturally, kind of like that? Because I was gonna ask, man, how did like that that wide open toe to toe kind of style? Did it did it just come naturally to you? Did you did did you kind of work yeah. on it and say this is what works for me, so I'm gonna fucking do it? Yeah, yeah like I, I well, part of it is like uh, so my mom had like six brothers that were in and out of jail, but I used from the time I was a child, I like I heard about their fighting, you know, and like there was they would fight each other, they would fight other people, and they would just... But one of the things, the first things I ever was, that I was ever taught by them was that uh, my Uncle Jack was probably toughest of the bunch. He goes, uh, when you get hit, you don't feel it. He goes, it, it feels like a tap. He goes, but that's when you should start getting angry because it probably means they're winning the fight. Then you just dig down and you swing harder and you swing faster and you just keep throwing. He said you throw till that guy's down on the ice. Or at in the time at the time I was like six or seven when he was telling me this. He's like you 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 throw until he's down on the ground and then you don't stop until he's begging you to stop and then you you know give him one last good shot and you tell him your name 
so that he doesn't come back. And so like from the time I was six or seven years old, that was just ingrained in me that you don't feel pain when you're in the fight. Like you just block out and you just, uh, like I would grit my teeth and I would just start throwing. And, uh, and that's sort of the way I fought as a kid. And then that's how I fought as a hockey player. Now I remember like, as I got older and particularly I'd see Jody Shelley and he'd be so technical. I'd say like, I don't know how he like has the patience to like string a guy out and turn his head away and like roll with the punches. And, you know, like for me, I just want to get in there and just punch my way right through the guy. You know, I just don't have the finesse or, you know, the, the wherewithal to, to think through a fight, like um, any of the fights, I would just sit there and grab and throw. But I mean, when I watched, I grew up watching Rock'em Sock'em. I grew up watching Bob Probert, and that's the way they did it. They would just stand there and throw so somebody went down and right. see who's tough, you know? And so, uh, anyway, that's, I, I saw that other guys would fight differently, and I remember talking to, to Maltz, and he'd say, like, some like a big guy's gonna knock your block off and I was like well I guess so I don't know I'm just I can't again like back to that point of like trying to think while you're in that state and it's I don't know it's like it's trying to think through rage you know I don't know how anybody does it like if if I'm not at that point then I'm not uh to me I'm not you know I, I think that's when I'm gonna get hurt if I'm sitting there thinking about things then I'm or thinking about dodging or ducking or anything like that, then I, I think I'm going to get in trouble. Like that's, I, I'd rather look to see what's coming and, and maybe like try and you know keep my head away from them if I if I can. But as far as like some sort of technique, bobbing and weaving the way boxers do, I, I can't fight like that. Right. Yeah, man. Well, fucking. It, it it made I well, like you talked about with the uh, the entertainment aspect as far as hockey goes. You look at it as it's entertainment because it really is. Sports is like the outlet. It's entertainment for yeah. for everybody. You know that with that fight with that fighting style, it's one you always talk about. It looks good on video or in person. That that wide open toe to toe kind of fight. Um, like you look at like a guy like John Morasti, who you also fought too. And all of his yeah. fights always just look fucking phenomenal. It <laughs> just look badass. Yeah, with the toe to toe kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, it's it's more old school. It's like I'd say more gladiator style. Like you just stand there and let's see who's tougher. Let's see who can take. You know, like keep throwing until one guy gets tired or one guy goes down. And uh, I don't know. Like some people don't call it the smartest, but it's definitely the toughest way. You know, like you're. You know, I couldn't imagine fighting somebody like uh, like Tony Twist like that or Stu Grimson, you know, Marty McSorley, like any of these guys, Dave Tiger Williams. Like, those guys were the guys that I watched growing up, and I thought, like, oh, my God, like, how, what do you do if you take a punch like that? Like, you know, and, and the thing is, like, I don't even think I, – I, I mean, you'd feel it. I imagine you'd have to feel it, but – Imagine uh, when thinking like that, what, fighting a guy like that wide open. I think you'd have to be almost knocked out on your feet. You know, like they must hit so hard that I mean, I, no guys fought them and they stay, stood in there. But I, they just seem so powerful. Uh, but it, it, to me, that's the mind-boggling. Like I'm, 
you know, when I fought, I was six foot 205. Now I'm like 245. And I, I consider myself, you know, somewhat big, but I couldn't imagine like somebody that's just totally jacked and knows how to throw a punch. Like to me, that's right. the real scary, scary, tough guys out there. You know, like when people are like, you know, who's the toughest guy you ever fought? And then say, well, like for me, every fight was tough because I was, I was always scared of that phantom punch that would come out of nowhere and just catch you and, you know, catch on the bell. Like you're talking about that AHL fight. I think the guy's name was Cave. Yep. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you just, as a fighter, you're hoping you catch somebody on the button like that. You know, like you don't want to see somebody hurt, but it's a quick fight. You know, you catch somebody on the button like that. It's like, okay, game over. And you, uh, you know, you, you move on. Like, you know, that, you know, that's, it's a sort of weird thing. It's like you you want to hurt the guy, but you don't want to hurt the guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. You want to win the fight, and if that's the way it happens, you're like, okay, you know, like, but obviously a win's a win, and you, you appreciate it, but you don't want, you hate to see, like, somebody convulsing on the ice or knocked out cold. You hate to see them in that state, you know? Like, anybody, it's just, it's it's kind of gory, you know? And, and obviously, like, it's, uh, but at the same time, like, as a tough guy, uh, in full honesty, you're like, you know, back to my other fights, it's like, better you than me. You know, I know he's trying to do that to me. Right, he'd have done so the same thing to you in a heartbeat. Yeah, so there's definitely, like, you know, whether it's you're tapping into sort of primal instincts or urges, like, you're, there's part of you that's, like, glad, like, okay, well, thank God it wasn't me. Uh, but there's also that of reasoning that says you know the next time that could be me and, and so that's why I think you always see a lot of the fighters very humble you know like they're often like very charitable like the the tough guys on the team were often like the most involved with like uh, hospitals and schools and charities um, because you, you look at the role and they're like in a protective role they're like the big brother on the team that you know if you come after one of my guys I'm fucking I'm coming for you you know and so, so there's that aspect where you're, you're protecting the flock, but then also, you know, nobody likes to be a fighter. Like, you know, we want to play hockey, but then we realize this is a job that we have to do. If we don't fight, um, then you're done. You know, my, so that, that coach I had in junior Bill Riley used to have a saying, he'd say, uh, crushers that become rushers become ushers. Right. So it's like, and he'd be like, don't go outside your role. Like, if you're there to fight, like, fight. And so, um, anyway, with that being said, like, you know your job. You know that guy's in the same spot as you. You know, the fans want to see it. The teams kind of want to see it. And so you just, you got to do it. So you, you have a mutual respect that, you know, it rises above everything else, rises above the game. So, you know, but at the same time, as soon as you let up one ounce, that's when you could take a back punch. So that's why, like, guys are always on edge. That's why you see a lot of, like, guys just fight wide open. But then as soon as the fight's over, you get a pat on the head or a pat on the back because they respect each other. Like, you took it as far as you can go. Like, you know, like if you want something so bad that you're willing to, you know, take a punch, get beat up for it, and then, you know, fight with everything in you, you know, like you're giving, you're paying one of the biggest sacrifices on the team. You know, there's other guys that are goal scorers and, and sort of like 
that's the one thing I can never relate to is like I'd, I'd look across the room and somebody would have like a lollipop in their mouth and they'd be like laughing and joking before the game and I'd just be completely stressed out and I'd be right like just complete anxiety you know um, but um, as tough guys whether he's on your team or whether he's on the other side like you respect each other and that's why you see so many guys able to like grab a beer after the game or you know and uh and then for me, I've, I've maintained the closest relationships with the fighters that, that I played against than the guys that I played with. And that's just because that mutual respect, respect and camaraderie in, in the role. Right. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's cool that it can be like that, um, you know, and the fact that, like you said, you can go grab a beer after the game because at the end of the day, it's just a job. And you both are trying to sit there and do your jobs and, you know, um, keep that roster spot that you have on the team. And, you know, you're literally fighting for fighting for a spot out there. And so you probably understand what he does more than anybody else on the team that's a goal scorer or, you know, a fan looking from the outside in. A hundred percent. And, uh, like, one of the old, uh, like, things that I used to say, like, trying to, explain it to fans was like uh i don't even know if they have looney tunes anymore but it was like a cartoon i grew up watching and it was like wily coyote and then the sheep dog that would protect the sheep well it used to show them sort of walking in at the beginning of the cartoon with their lunch pails they'd punch the clock and then they'd spend the whole episode trying to kill each other and uh and then they'd punch out at the end of the day and they'd be like have a good day george and be like yeah you too joe <laughs> and that's exactly you know what it, what it's like as a hockey player you arrive it's game time there's a show the fans want to see it you're fighting for two points you know like you uh you're there and i'd say like that was one of the hardest things as a as a fighter like as a person as a, off the ice i don't want any confrontation like i'm not a, a person that like, I haven't been in a fight since I, I retired from hockey. Uh, but um, in saying that with, uh, with the game is sometimes I'd have to fight for, like, to give my team a spark. And, like, I had a hard time, uh, like, doing that because I didn't have anything against the guy. And I'm like, you know, you grow up, you're like, okay, you know, fight the bully, you know, fight the guy. And then all of a sudden I find myself almost as like the bully, like trying to instigate something to give my team a spark, you know? Um, but uh, I'll never forget like one scene of a movie. Have you ever seen Braveheart? Mel Gibson? Years ago I have, yes. Yeah, anyway, so there's uh, one part where they're like, you know, they're at a sort of at a truce and uh, one of his buddies goes like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to pick a fight. <laughs> so I'd always picture myself in the role like, okay, well, if that's my job, then I'm, fuck, I'll go start a fight, you know? And so, again, like in the sort of big picture of the game, like if you're you're looking at the season and you're trying to get to the playoffs, well, you need those two points. Well, if that's what you got to do, if you got to go like, you know, body check somebody, put somebody through the boards or fucking bowl over a goalie, get things going and that's what you do you know but again on the entertainment side i always liked giving the, the fans like a spectacle you know like you know i loved the line 
line clearing brawls. I love like, you know, a line brawl, um, or sorry, bench clearing brawls and line brawls. Uh, right. And I, I just, you know, we all watch flap shots. So it's like they paid their money. I want to give them something like that. Every time I got on the ice, I'd, I'd want to give them something like that. And, and that made me popular in the towns that I played. And, you know, at the same time, I think I had, most of the time I had my team's respect. I think, you know, like I said, sometimes people don't appreciate that. Like they, you know, they consider it being a goon or whatever. But at the same time, I would look at that as a, uh, you know, I'm paying the ultimate price again, putting my body on the line, putting my face, you know, I'm out there picking a fight with a big monster on the other team to uh, either protect my guys or give my, my guys a spark. So if anybody had a problem with it, I honestly couldn't give a fuck when I was playing, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, that's kind I, of I, the I, mentality I, you got to have, man. Like, fuck it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like whether people agreed, you know, whether they liked you or not, you know, like I, I sort of gave up on that. Uh and that, you know what, to be honest, like I, I noticed a little bit of that with my own teammates towards the end of my career was that here I was in a fighting role and I found guys didn't respect that. Like, whereas when I first started with Thunder Bay and Toledo, like guys understood like what I was, like what any fighter was doing, you know, and like, but then like as towards the end of my career and towards when, uh, you know, when they started taking fighting out of the game, it was like it wasn't as respected and they thought, well, you know, like he chooses to do that. And it's like, well, fuck no, but it's a, a factor of the game. Like you provide like, you know, room to play. Like if I'm, if I'm take, if I'm like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like if I'm canceling out their tough guy and that tough factor, then that, that allows my guys to play bigger and more free, you know, like they, they can play more wide open. Uh, so if not, if you get somebody like Jason Renard running around or Kevin Holiday, I mean, I got to think that they're going to scare the shit out of like a goal scorer. that's like 150, 160 pounds, you know? Right. Like who, who's not going to be intimidated by one of those two guys looking across from you on the face off, you know? And especially like if you go into the corner, like guaranteed they are taking you out, you know? So I always consider it like my duty. Okay. You know, I don't want them to take out, my little guy. So, you know, I'm hot. at the time I was like 205 or 215. So, you know, it'd be my job to take out the guys 245, you know, and uh, like I said, like the tough guys, we always respected each other. I don't think that the goal scorers necessarily did uh, towards the end of the career. So I think it's too bad. Fucking yeah. That's, I mean, people can't, they don't see it because it's not a stat today you can't measure intimidation and everybody's so focused on stats in today's world of hockey. And so everybody's, everybody yeah. just looks at, you know, goals, assists, points, plus minus, um, yeah. intimidation isn't the stat. So they can't see it. And it, it's funny because a lot players like yourself and even players who were goal scorers will come out and, you know, say what having a player like yourself on the bench would do for the team. Just you, just you being on the bench, not even on the ice, just sitting on the bench as a deterrent. But yeah. it, it's it can't be measured as a stat, so people over a lot of the the newer fans I think overlook it because everybody's so no, focused on numbers. But it's unfortunate, and you know it's 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 gone the way it has. But you know that's what we're here here yeah. for to kind of you know talk about and keep it alive a little bit. 
Yeah, well, well, thanks, Alec. Like, uh, you know, it does. I do like. I appreciate when when people recognize that or see that for that factor, right? A lot of people. What I what I always noticed about my career was like they just did not understand like that dynamic that you know I'm sitting there on the bench, I'm barking at the other team, and I'm chirping the other team, and you're constantly like throwing jabs and barbs back and forth and it's like uh it's like something is simmering but it's not like basketball or you know even football or baseball like i'm sure they get away with a lot more trash talking in those other sports whereas hockey if somebody fucking says something to me and it's like oh yeah like you know say they think they're laughing at me or they're you know saying something derogatory the next chance I get that my coach puts me on the ice and that fucking guy's on the ice like something dirty is going down I'm getting like a fucking butt end is coming you know a cross check across the teeth if I get a chance to run through the fucking in the corner and break his fucking collarbone like that's what I was trying to do every shift you know so like a lot of people don't all they see is like sort of the play on the ice and then they'll see a fight happen and they're not sure like it's that game What's within happening? a game kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. They they don't realize like the the underlying narrative that's going on, you know, that it's and that you know, all of a sudden you know, and then look at how many momentum swings there are, like when a big fight does happen or you get a big guy that is running around. Like you look at a team like Saint Louis and Boston, everybody said, you know, oh Boston, Boston, Boston and then all of a sudden Saint Louis comes in and just annihilates them with their own game right like the same way the big bruising like and they just ground them down you know it's like injury after injury for for boston and uh st louis just had the big boys that just fucking ground them to a pulp in the corner and so a lot of people you know as much as they try and take it out of the game like anytime you have guys that are like 225 up to you know 260 playing on the game playing on the ice like intimidation is a huge factor like it's one thing like to see it like to be out you know every day and see like a big hulking guy like just standing in line it's another when you're on the ice or on the field with him and that guy's literally trying to mow you down you know he's looking at you and he's going to go right through you and you know not only that but he's at the top of his game he's been doing this his entire life completely jacked and now that's a pissed off individual well you can't tell me that these goal scorers and the guys that play a finesse game aren't going to fold the tent you know going into the corner with a guy like that right so i mean the game has changed but there's still that huge intimidation factor uh one of the big mistakes i think one of the things that's probably led to more like uh, concussions and and like uh injuries is like the removal of the instigator, the instigator Absolutely. rule. Uh, if you would just, and they say, you know, let, uh, you know, uh, let the game, like, let the, uh, the refs, you know, uh, uh, police the game, suspensions and stuff like that. But, you know, back in the day when you had, you know, George Larac on the team, like there's no way anybody's taking a liberty or trying to intimidate that team. Like, he negates anything, any type of like aggression coming from the other team. Uh, 
and then there's almost zero chance that somebody's going to blindside one of your goal scorers like that. But you look at Korea, Scott Stevens, like when he took out Korea there, like it's uh, when it's open, like when it's wide open hockey like that, it's bound to have injuries. But if you have a tough guy waiting there just to beat the piss out of somebody, they're less likely just to absolutely kill a guy on the ice when uh, when his head is down, you know? Because you know that the next time that your head is down, you might be getting a butt into the teeth or uh, a cross check to the teeth, you know? And it's not that it's going to happen, but it, it deters, it prevents it before it even happens. Right. Now you get, now you get a guy that's like, you know, 220 and doesn't have, you know, anything to pay for it, come across and just totally take out a guy. I know they're trying to take out headshots and things like that, but it, it's still, you still have huge human beings colliding in the corners and, and across the line. So I, I think if they brought back the, uh, you know, allowed what they call the instigator. I think you just get a lot, you know, a lot more honest hockey and a lot less chippiness. I find the game today is very European. Uh, when I was 16, I went to uh, Russia and it was all finesse and all stick work. And like we're talking, I'm 43 now. So that's, you know, almost 30 years ago. And the game has really gone towards that. It's like, uh, you know, they uh, taken, they've neutralized the a lot of the intimidator, fa- intimidator factor, um, but they've taken a lot of the hitting out. They've taken, you know, you still have the odd open ice hit, but now you have guys that won't hit a guy because they're afraid that they're going to hit hit them in the head and be considered a headshot. You know? it's, yeah, it seems so like how, every every open ice check today is just put under a microscope for whatever reason. Yeah, exactly. And it used to be that it's like, okay, well, if I see a guy with his head down, like, fuck, too bad for him, you know, like, you, you got to keep your head up, like, you, you look out for yourself, you know, you don't do that because somebody will take your fucking head off, you know, it was common sense. Now it's like guys can bury their head and um, and there's no, no price to pay, you know, and then all of a sudden it's the guy hitting him, his fault, but Anyway, I just I find it's uh, frustrating hockey to watch. I think, and then you you see a lot of the discussion going back and forth. And it's, I, I think they've sort of taken an elephant gun to kill a mouse. You know, with injuries, it started with you know removing fighters, and then you still had people like Mark Savard, Paul Korea, Eric Lindros, like all go out of the game with open ice hits. You know, but. Coincidentally, that's after the uh, after you take out the instigator rule. Right. You know? Look at look at how long Gretzky played, Lemieux played, and, and guys wouldn't touch them. You had you had that aggressive factor, like deterring other teams. You know, and then all of a sudden you take that out for the interest of like violence and hockey. To me, it's just a bullshit call, and it's, and it's a mistake. I think you're seeing a lot of guys, a lot of high, like dominating athletes, pay the price. For uh, for a ridiculous rule, but to appease to the uh, the naysayers of, of violence, you know, like uh, I, I think it's just misguided. I think like I, I, if you let the game police itself, you let the tough guys sort of police things. I, I think you see a lot of the cheap shots. I think you see a lot of like you know these open ice hits wouldn't happen. Like one, you're going to have the guys with their head up. If they do have their head down, well, 
that's their fault. But and then on top of that, as a layer, you have a tough guy on the team, you know, keeping guys from taking liberties like that. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, well, what would you know? You just played the game, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course, you'll exactly. tell that to, like, Ken Campbell or somebody from the hockey news, and they'll fucking be up in arms about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, you ended up in Wheeling, um, and this lineup that you guys had in that fucking team was an yeah. absolute fucking gong show. You had Mark Major, Brendan Walsh, Bruce Watson, Dan Kopeck, and David Kochi as well as yourself. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was quite the lineup. And I got to say, like, uh, it's weird when you sit in a room with that many tough guys and, like, it, it's almost watered down too much because, like, as a fighter, like, coming from Toledo, I was like, it was me and, like, Jason Nori, um, uh, you know, a couple other tough guys, uh, and, and we'd just be we'd be rolling through two or three of us, right? Like uh, Walker McDonald. And uh, and so what you kind of get into rhythm. You're like, okay, I, I can go. I'm, my hands aren't hurting. I'm not, I don't have any, you know, any stitches or my eyes not swollen shut. Like I'm good to go and you keep going. And then all of a sudden you get hurt. You got to take a bit of a break. But like when there was that many tough guys sitting in the room and I was just like, oh my God, like, well, you might go two or three games with like fighting because like somebody's all somebody's already getting to their tough guy before you get to him, you know? Right. And uh, and Mark Major was like an awesome guy. He was an awesome captain. Uh, I'll be the first to admit, like I was I was young and I, you know, I didn't I didn't know again like I didn't know guys came like I knew he had a game or two in the show, but I didn't realize how long he was a fighter for and. Um, but uh, and then Dan Kopeck was an awesome guy. They were all awesome. Derek or uh, uh, Ernie Ernest, he was he was awesome. Like uh, Ernie and I would take the brunt of uh, Brophy's like rage and uh, Bruce Watson. Too. I was going to ask if you had any good Brophy stories from that absolute legend. Oh yeah, he like he was awesome. I loved him. I like to say that you know, I hope. You know, I'm not speaking out of turn, rest in peace. Uh, amazing, amazing coach, awesome guy. Uh, but I think, I like to think that he liked me too. Uh, and then, um, but he'd get so irate, like so mad. And it would just be like, it, in one sense, like we'd want to start laughing and snickering because he'd just be right. literally sitting mad and he'd be busting his buttons off the shirt. And uh, he'd be yelling at us, but he'd like he'd come out with the best one-liners, like, uh, and it'd be hard to keep a straight face. And and then he, uh, yeah, he, he's just one of those beauties. And and uh, and then uh, the other guy you were saying too, uh, Brendan Walsh, like he was a, a tough kid from Southie, and uh, like South Boston, and like those guys had the best one-liners, like. He would just carve guys, and I remember uh, like me and Brendan Walsh were in, uh, we're kind of like in a bit of a scrum in practice, and like we kind of like almost like butt heads, exchanged like cross checks, and then I said like, "What do you want to go, Walshy?" And he's like, "Oh, you motherfucker, you was, don't you even fucking start. I'll make you fucking cry." 
<laughs> but, I, but I was like, I was like intimidated more about what he'd say. I was like, oh man, okay, I'm just gonna fucking back off right now. Like, <laughs> I did not. He's one of those guys who do not want him to start carving you because he'd just be ruthless, you know. Um, but uh, but playing for Broke, like he was also one of the coaches that told me to try and play hockey. Like I, I'd be skating up and down the ice. I'd be like, you're a good skater. Just play the game. But, you know, back to Vanny's, uh, you know, men- mental uh, game there, he, uh, I couldn't play hockey and, and, and know that I had to try and fight too. Right. It's always, it's always going to be in the bat. That fight will always be on your mind first before playing hockey. Yeah, exactly. You're just white knuckled, like I said. And, and, uh, you know, in no way can think about, you know, making a, a, like a soft pass or a solid shot or anything like that. It's all about the physical, uh, you know, run and gun type thing. Right. Uh, but yeah, Brokey, uh, I mean, he's just awesome individual. He, he hated to lose more than anybody. Him and Peter Laviolette were the two that I, men that I've met that, hated to lose the most like I, I they truly hated it they were just in a foul disgusting mood after after a loss and uh brophy so i was on coaching was like a i'm pretty sure he was like a rookie when he was with us in wheeling there and he wasn't really a fighter he's just like a big defenseman like big check from the czech republic and uh and uh, I remember, like, we'd work on a little bit on sparring after practices and stuff like that. But Brophy had us go to the go to the gym one day on a on a day that was like optionals. And but he asked me and Kochi and one other Czech kid, and he just put us through the paces, man. Like he had us like doing step ups with like a a barbell with plates on it. Like we had to, it was across our back. We'd have to step up on the bench and step down, and we were running on the treadmill backwards, like up the up the ramp, and uh, like just doing this all you know, unconventional stuff, and totally burnt us out. So like our legs were all fried. We were all three of us were on the uh, on the IR for like three days because uh, because of this one Wednesday workout. And I remember he was so ashamed of us. It's like, what the fuck do you mean? Like, the trainer was trying to tell him, we're broke, they can't move, like, their legs are all seized up. And honestly, like, I I wish I, I would have been tougher. Like, I, I just couldn't move. My legs, you know, <laughs> like, when you do a huge workout and then all of a sudden, like, they're just full of lactic acid, they're all ripped to shreds, like, you just can't move. But I was like, I told I was like, I'll dress, but I honestly can't fucking stand. I can't. I can't skate. And uh, so anyway, they, they, they put me and Kochi and this other kid on the IR for like three days. Um, the other thing Brophy used to love is like uh, like the ice baths. So he'd like try and like see how tough you were. So we'd put, so we'd go in the ice baths and uh, the ice bath actually feels great. And it's great for your legs. Like when you do workouts like that. But uh, after a while, you're just like, okay, fuck, this hurts. Like, it, it just it goes numb, but then it just starts hurting and aching, like, through your whole body. It hits your nerves. 
And uh, I remember one day I was sitting in there and he wouldn't let me get out of the ice bath. And it, like he'd be like, put his elbows on my shoulders and I'd be like, fuck, bro, let me out of here. He's like, not yet, Tosker, not yet. Let's see how long he can go in there. And I was like, it's like, fuck, bro. Okay, so I, I'm trying to be tough and I'm trying to like outlast bro, right? And then finally I'm like, that's it. I gotta get the fuck out of here. And he's like, he wouldn't let me get out. He's pushing down. I'm like, bro, if you don't let me out of this fucking thing right now, I'm fucking coming after you. And then only at that point when I said that, he starts laughing. He's like, okay, Tasker, okay. You did good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you fucking asshole like push me right to the absolute limit uh, the right. other thing you do is like, me and Watson and, and Kopech Major like we'd all be doing work after like working out he had all like he had these phenomenal like like uh, weights and stuff in the dressing room whereas like in every other dressing room there was like it was just a dressing room right he had like I remember he had this punching uh you know those rubber guys that looks like a, a face and a chest and the abs kind of thing, like uh. Like oh a, yeah, yeah, like a like a, like a punching like, dummy. Yeah, exactly. So he called them Bob. So me and Derek Ernest, uh, we you know we'd have our sessions on that, and he'd hit it, and then he had us going into like these planks where like our feet were up on those big medicine balls, those Swedish medicine balls, and. Uh, you'd have to hold a push-up position for as long as you could. Like we'd go like a minute, minute and a half and, uh, and our arms would be shaking. And then all of a sudden we'd collapse, like maybe a minute 40 kind of thing. Well, doesn't broke go in, hold it for one minute, two minutes, three minutes in. And we're like, okay, bro, if you can have a fucking heart attack, like stop. And like, he wouldn't. And he was, like, he'd be shaking, but it was after, like, the three-minute mark, and we're just like, this is fucking insane. Like, we were all, I remember, like, looking at Bruce Watson, like, <laughs> he's crazy, man. <laughs> like, why why would you do that? At the time, he was, like, 70 years old, you know? Or, like, why would you subject yourself to that? But he was just that tough, like, that old school. Uh, but so he's the one that uh, told me to, uh, to go in the Tough Man contest because... Uh, I was talking about, I was in Augusta and he said something about me playing for him the next year in Wheeling. And I said, okay. I said, uh, at the time I had, uh, broke my hand. I was rehabbing it. One of the things I was doing was going to the boxing club. And I, I said, bro, uh, these tough man contests are, it's coming to Augusta and they're telling me I should go in it. What do you think I should do? He's like, you should do it. He goes, uh, it'd be great for your resume. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, seriously? He's like, but don't lose. I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's easy to say, you know? And he told me about another guy, Frank Beaton. He goes, uh, yeah, you know who did that? Was Frank never been beaten? Uh, Frank never been de- beaten? Beaten. And I was like, I, I didn't know who he was at the time. But then I, I realized after he was the like, old school tough guy out of the 70s, 80s, I guess. And... uh he had gone in this tough man contest and won. So anyway, I went in in Augusta and, uh, the first night they gave me like a, a 19 year old kid or something. And like his, uh, his whole, uh, handle, like for me, they were like, you know, tough guy, pro hockey for the last five years, blah, blah, blah. 
for this like 19 year old kid, he's like, he's won two bar fights, you know, he's two and all in the bar fight. And like, honestly, the, the fight was over in about 20 seconds. Like once I just started keying off on him, he just went down. And I, at that time I thought they were trying to maybe like hand me the, uh, like give me the easy route to right. win, uh, the top man. But then the next night I end up having the, there was a, an odd man, odd number of people. So I end up having to fight the first fight and I end up having to fight an extra fight. Normally you fight one fight on Friday and then three fights on Saturday, end up having to fight four fights. And, uh, I ended up winning it, but like that was, that was insane in itself. I was fighting some semi-pro football player. And I remember he, he was one of those guys that was like, uh, antagonizing me and, and, like, um, like embarrassing me in front of the crowd. Like he teed off on me the first round, but I, when they put my headgear on, they, like they just put like that thin little, like it's really nothing. It's almost like cloth. But uh, I had the headgear and I, it was slipping over my eyes. They had didn't put it on tight, and I couldn't see. And he, at one point, he hit me so hard in my temple that I thought I was gonna piss my pants right there and in the ring and my left leg went numb from my hip down. He hit a nerve or something. And, uh, it was on one of the scariest moments of my fighting career simply because I was just, I would have been mortified and embarrassed of what would have pissed my pants in a ring. You know? <laughs> right. But, uh, but I weathered the storm. And again, like my, uh, sort of my trait of fighting was always like outlast these guys be in such good shape that I would outlast them. And that's what I did with the uh, with the tough man. Every every fight went the distance on the Saturday night, and it was all sort of decisions. I didn't have any KOs, but I just like I was I was in better condition than them, and end up winning it in uh, in Augusta. So then I told Brof, and I actually end up working like I went to play for him the next year, and then the tough man. They held it in Augusta, then the semifinals were in Mississippi, and then the finals were going to be in Vegas. And uh, then, so when I started getting the calls to go to Mississippi, I, I was playing for Broke, and I'm like, Broke, they're asking me to go to uh, Mississippi. He's like, are you fucking crazy? You're under contract with Pittsburgh Penguins right now. <laughs> Whereas the year before, I'm under contract with some other team. He's like, yeah, do it, you know? But then when I was playing for him, he's like, no fucking way are you going to that. <laughs> right. But, uh, but anyway, so uh, and, and it was one of those things like uh, he was just from a different time and uh, an awesome, awesome guy. Awesome guy to play for. Absolutely, man. I've always heard nothing but crazy, funny oh. stories about fucking about Brophy. So I definitely had to make sure we got a couple out of you. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, well, so after wheeling, you find yourself in the. Uh, the infamous Quebec League, and for those uh, those out there, there's you know there's some people that may like it, they might not like it. I personally, I love the fucking league. I think it's phenomenal. But um, you ended up when it was the Quebec Senior uh, Professional Hockey League, or the or excuse me, Quebec Semi Pro. I think it was at that point. Um, yeah. But how did you end up there? So it was a buddy of mine. Uh, you might come across some of his fights too, Andre Payette. So he's from yep. the Ottawa region two and uh i was skating with him a lot of the pro guys and junior guys would skate together here in the summer and so uh 
I still, to this day, I think he must have had some sort of side deal that, like, the more players he could get up there, he'd get a, a cut, like, get a kickback somehow. But anyway, so he, he uh, in the summertime, he's like, Kenny, you have to come to this Quebec League. The money is so good. And I was like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, like, once you start talking cash, and he says, like, they're signing bonuses. He's like, they'll give you a car. And, I like, Throughout my whole career, I heard about stuff like this over in Europe, and I heard a little bit about it in Quebec, but I thought it was more like folklore. So uh, anyway, he's like, no, he, he goes, it's not even that hard. He goes, a lot of these guys aren't even like real fighters. They're just guys off the street. They're just bouncers. He goes, just tell me this. <laughs> that's like, Payette's a bit of a salesman. Like he, anyway, I was like, well, I, I end up, going with them to check things out. Sure enough, I end up signing, you know, I get my signing bonus and, uh, and he is just um, like, he's a wild man. Like the, the shit he stirs up on the ice, the stuff he does off the ice, like back, back in the day, he's, he's pretty mellow now from what I understand. But back in the day, it was like, Oh my God, like, I always find myself in shit. And I was always because of him, you know? Right. Um, so, um, so he tells me about this Quebec league. I go up there, uh, you know, it's, it's weird because normally pro hockey, like you have an equipment like trainer and they've got an equipment room and they've got like all kinds of stuff for you. Well, I walk in and everybody has their own bags. They're bringing it from home. The, the trainer, you know, they're awesome guys. They're great guys. Like, but it's just different, you know, like it's almost like, uh, well, it is, senior league but it's it's kind of like a pro league so anyway it was um the crowds were awesome they're all drinking draft beer in the stands they're like uh smoking darts again in the stands and uh and then like he'd tell me well every team has like five to six tough guys and all like some of the guys only get paid if they if they fight he's like but they're not that great fighters and I was like, okay. And so we started playing against, like, the Laval Chiefs and St. Jean Mission. And, you know, by this time, I'm, I'm having, like, a second go-around from Morassi. Morassi, I'd seen in the East Coast League. I was in Long Beach, California. He was in Bakersfield. And uh, he was, like, a young, tough guy. And, uh, you know, he was making a name for himself. He was basically, you know, like, fighting anybody and fighting everybody kind of thing, trying to make a name for himself. And uh, he actually, from whatever, that year, he he wasn't there too long. He was like, uh, I think he ended up, did he play in Danbury? He did. That was, uh, that was I think, 04. Because um, you were in St. Hyacinth. That was when it became the LNH. But he was there from 04. And he kind of bounced back and forth between Danbury and then when it was uh, the Sorrell Tracy mission. Yeah, so I see him there, and I heard he was, you know, doing well in Danbury, and then he went also went on to the American Hockey League and sort of, you know, scroy and stuff. But um, so what it would be basically like um, every team would have sort of it was built similar to my Thunder Bay team is they'd have one super good first line, and then they'd have all tough guys after that to both give a show to the fans and to uh, provide toughness for that one line. When you got there and you yeah. just kind of saw the games and how they go, were you just kind of like, where the fuck am I? Because it was, you know, yeah. just like fight after fight. Yeah. I, honestly, I, 
I remember to this day, I was like, I was driving with Payette uh, into Montreal, and I'm just thinking, like, why am I doing this? Like, it does not feel right. And I get to, uh, we get to the game, we're running late, and they're already, like, in warm-up. And, uh, like, that was, that was surreal, too, because that never happens in, like, in pro hockey. Like, you all, like, travel together on the bus. You arrive, like, two hours before. Like, everything's regimented. Everything's by schedule. And then all of a sudden, we were driving to the game. And uh, for whatever reason, we were running late. I think we ran into traffic, and uh, and yet they were okay with it. Like, oh yeah, I just get dressed. Like you miss warm up, it's not a big deal. And then and then all of a sudden, like when the game starts, it's like they put their starting fighters out. So we put our some of our fighters out, and it's like one fight after another fight. And I'm like, holy shit! Like they they really. Like they don't waste any time getting down to business, and then, you know, me being on on the bench, like I get the tap, and I go, and I'm like, holy fuck, man! It's just like like little armies. Like they send out one guy, they then the other team sends out a guy, and then you know you go out, you have your fight, you go to the box. As I'd get on the ice, I'd have you know one or two guys asking me again right away. So I was getting paid whether whether I fought or not, but I knew my my role on the team. So, but then I couldn't get over how keen and eager these guys were to fight every single time we were on the ice. I was just like, "Fuck, man! Like, just play some hockey, you know? Like, I get out and somebody <laughs> grabbed me. I was like, okay, let's go again.' But it just got to the point where it was just it was stupid. It was crazy. Like, I just. I just wanted to play some sort of hockey, but I realized, okay, I just sit on the bench, I go over, I fight, and then I go back. And then it made sense that, like, that's where they were getting the guys. There's a lot of guys that were like uh, Hell's Angels and bouncers and stuff that could hardly skate, but they were the type of guys you didn't want to fall to the ground with because if they were, if they catch on the ground, that's where they could do some damage, you know. Right. But standing on the ice, standing on their feet. They weren't necessarily a threat. Um, again, that's a small portion of it. A lot of them were ex-tough guys and a lot of guys that had been fighting in that league, and it was by far the toughest league I ever played in. Like I just I couldn't get over how uh, you know how how deep the tough guys went too. Like, and then I'd look at these guys, and you know, he had Brashear, I think my second year. But I was in that league, and they'd have, like, Matthew Ravi and uh, Joel Terrio and... Uh, well, yeah, just on your Verdun team, man, you had Bosse, Terrio, Jason Clark, Mark Tardif, and then Mike Farhog. <laughs> it's just fucking yeah, it's exactly. stupid. It's fucking yeah. stupid. Yeah, and it was, like, uh, like, it was crazy shit, too, right? Like, I remember uh, the doctor had left a prescription prescription pad in the in the trainer's room and then all of a sudden we got read the riot act because it went missing and they're like nobody's getting paid till that fucking uh you know prescription pod is back and it mysteriously showed up again the next next practice or whatever but it was just uh craziness man like joel terrio you know end up going to jail twice during that season when I was in Verdun. <laughs> and, 
all for off ice crazy stuff, you know, like, uh, it, he was a great guy, great guy in the dressing room, like, and lived up to every bit of his, his uh, handle, the animal. I actually have a, I have like, a giant he, picture of him. I have a huge, huge, uh, it's like a, it's printed on a, on a frame. It's really like hanging right above my desk from when he was when the, with CRS Express. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah. I oh, fucking okay. love it. <laughs> but he like, and he's a scary individual. I mean, like, on the ice or off the ice, like that man, I just wouldn't want to cross paths with. And I, a couple times I had to. He, when I was in St. Hyacinth, he knocked out uh, one of our guys, and I had to go out. And just to save face, I was like, "Joel, we gotta go." Like you, you fucking leave me alone. <laughs> like, I was like, "Joel, we gotta go." He's like I'm telling you, you're gonna get hurt. I'm like, Joel, we gotta go. And, but he, at that point, he'd already knocked him out. So he was just kind of like skating down the ice. And I was like, okay. So I asked him a couple times. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, maybe that's enough. Like, uh, you know, if I don't have to fight the big dog and, and he doesn't want to go, I, I'm not going to poke the bear too much, you know? Right. And then uh, another guy I came across was uh, Sasha Lakovic in that league, too. Oh, Pitbull. And, uh, oh, yeah. Now he's like, so I, same thing. I got out on the ice, and uh, you know, I knew my job, and and he's out there, and I'm I'm just expecting him to want to go me too, right? So I get out beside him. I'm like, I'm like, uh, hey Sasha. And I knew him from the Toledo days. Like our uh, our fans in Toledo had seen uh, him and his brother, I believe, go through um, Toledo, and uh, and seen him go on to like the AHL and then the NHL. Uh, so I kind of, anyway, so I get out beside him. I'm like, Sasha, you want to go? Like, you want to fucking die? And I, I just like, I was caught off guard. Like, I, I just thought he'd be like, yeah, like second tier or something. And he looks at me. And then he skates away. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to die. And I guess uh, <laughs> I also, <laughs> I'll, I'll see if you want to go later. And, and then obviously nothing ever happened. So I was like, you know, the odd guy, some guys just were hoping like, if you let them sleep or if, you know, if you're not feeling it or whatever, you, you just hope, okay, like if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I'm okay with that too, you know? Right. And, uh, I mean, there's so many fights that you just, you know, you're going to fight. If you're not, you know, if you're not fighting him, you're fighting Brashear or you're fighting, you know, Rabbi or you're fighting somebody else. So like it, it didn't really matter. You know, there was, uh, there was Hewitt, and he was super tough, man. He hit me with one of the hardest punches I've ever been hit with, too. Like, and it just came out of nowhere. I just remember he started, like, jacking punches, but I couldn't tell where they were coming from. And then when I watched the video afterwards, I was like, he's throwing that bomb, like, from behind him and coming down on me. And I'd never, I'd never fought anybody like that. Like, hockey fighting was always sort of, like, straight toe-to-toe or coming from the side or coming from beneath. But I'd never seen one come down from off top like that. And I thought, holy shit, he's throwing thunder from up there. Like, <laughs> it, just, it hurt. Like, it, it was one of those things, like, you're like, oh, my God, like, that stung. Like, do not get hit with one of those again. Um, but you just, uh, you know, in there, there too, it's like shark-infested water. You just know you're just basically fighting to survive to get out. And because all just the way it was structured with the guys getting paid per fight 
they were just so hungry. And, and I remember Bossy was like a young young kid on our team, and I he was asking, but he was so keen. He always wanted to learn how to fight because he was he was totally jacked off the ice, and I believe he had like a martial arts background, but he wanted to know like techniques of fighting. And I like I said to him, I said uh, Bossy like the way you're going and how big you are, like, it's just a matter of time before you're one of the toughest in the league. And he's like, like, as a kid, he's like, oh, yeah? And I'm like, like, you can just tell. Like, it's like, it's like looking at a, a Great Dane pup, you know? You just know that that pup's going to be big, right? Right. And, uh, and with how keen he was and how often he was fighting. And, like, most guys take, we all take our lumps when we're learning it because that's the only way you learn as you go kind of thing, you know, and you, once, you know, you learn like so, once something bad happens, you're like, okay, like, don't do that again. You know, don't lead with your chin. And, uh, but anyway, he was super, you know, I remember asking Terry, asking me, you know, asking everybody and he just worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And then, you know, I left the league and then I, I heard, you know, and then I started seeing the videos of him and Morasti, and I was like, yeah. Like, Those are some of the best hockey tough. fights of all fucking time. Those are insane. Yeah, exactly. Like, and you're talking, like, just, like, you talk about, like, dog fighting and things. Like, both dogs are jacked and, like, all pumped up and everything. These are human beings that are just meant, are, you know, born and bred to fight. And, like, you know, God only knows what's in their system or what, but, <laughs> they don't come any tougher than that. They absolutely do not. You know, like that's, you're seeing two of the toughest people that can possibly be on skates fighting each other, you know? Right. And, uh, and, and good guys. Like, I, I you know, I've spoken both of them off the ice and, and, uh, and on the ice and both like great guys, you know, like, like I said, like any fighter is usually a pretty good guy, you know, off the ice. I, I haven't met too many that, you know, there's the odd that, you know, I, our assholes, and you know, if I saw them again, chances are I wouldn't abide by the the code. You know, they'd get theirs, their comeuppance, but that's just the way it is. Uh, they're far and few between. Right. And the... a lot of times, it, a lot of times, you just catch a guy on a night where you know he does something dirty, and then you know we've all been there. Like I've I've made mistakes. Like you know, I, I remember. Uh, and when I was in the U-Haul, I used to fight this guy named Jan Vadraska. And uh, he was a like, big European tough guy. And uh, I forget what it was. We ended up on the ground. And uh, he got the better of me in the fight. And I think um, for some stupid reason, I, I go poke, like, rake his eyes, right? Like, I'd already been through this in Nova Scotia where the guys are trying to rake my eyes. So I, I try and take a page out of the book. I go and poke him in the eye and I miss. I put my fucking finger in his mouth. And doesn't he start chomping down on it? Oh, oh. my God. I, I thought I was going to lose a finger. I honestly did. I was like, and, uh, but, you know, I learned that. It was like, you know, you learn two things like that. One, don't be dirty. And two, like, do not put your fucking finger in somebody's mouth. Like, you know, <laughs> especially like when they're fighting, you know? Right. So, but so you, like, as, we've all had moments where we did something dirty and then, but again, in learning to fight, you, you learn the hard way. Like, you know, it's, you know, like the old cliche of the school of hard knocks. Like once you get, once you get tagged a couple of times with different things and 
you know, you learn, and then that's how you get better. Now, in saying that too, is that's some of the I've seen a lot of tough guys. Not a lot, but I, uh, there were tough guys in the league that would just uh, sort of enjoy raining down on on smaller guys and just beat the piss out of guys. But then you see them lose their first fight, and they were not the same after. They right. play the game the same way. It's like a wake-up call. I'd, I'd, say, I'd say for every tough guy, they have that fight. It's like, you know, can you get up and go back and do it again after that? Like, after you've had your ass handed to you, can you get up and, and go back and fight again, knowing that that's possible? And that's the true, like, test of a fighter. You know, do you have it within it to to go through it, both the good and the bad. Like, it's easy to beat up on somebody, but then when you get your ass handed to you and it's embarrassing and it's hurt and your face is maimed, like, you know, that moment, there's a fight of me where I hurt a referee. Like, some fucking asshole put it in there. I was like, Ken Tasker almost kills ref. Yeah, oh yeah, I was watching the video before we even started talking. I, mean, I know exactly which oh, one you're so, talking about, man. So, uh... So what happened with that was uh, I was on the bench, and I, I still don't know who that guy is. Like, I, I can't remember. I, I knew at the time, but the guy who I'm fighting got out on the uh, on the ice, and then he lined up against uh, a guy that wasn't a fighter. And um, one of our uh, assistant coaches, I can't remember who, but anyway, he, he tapped me on the shoulder. He said, go get him. And I said, I said, okay, I jumped the bench. And I guess from the moment that I stepped on the ice, Brophy started yelling, and he's like, get off, get off. And I, I just thought, okay, well, it's not this guy's job to fight. It's my job to fight. So I go in, and I fight this guy, and he doesn't even tag me with that first fucking punch and put me down. But when he tagged me with that, I was already missing two teeth, but my one tooth cut my lip so bad that it, my lip was cut from like sort of like where your normal lip is, but it was cut all the way up my face up to beside my nostril. And when I talked, I didn't realize this till after because what, what happens, he tags me with that punch and then I just fucking go into a blind rage and that's when I keep trying to hit him and the ref put his arm up. And what happened, what happened to that ref, how he got hurt was when I threw a few punches, the whole all four of us kind of fell to the ice, but I stayed standing. And so I kept throwing down punches on top of the guy that had put me down. And the ref put his arm up in front, like as if to stop me from hitting the other guy. And when I did, my forearm crossed with his forearm and I folded his arm back over the wrong way, like out of his socket. So I dislocated his, his shoulder. And of course he's writhing in pain on the ice. And meanwhile, I'm just trying to fight everybody and try and get back to this guy. But I knew I was cut, and I knew it was, it was bad because I was bleeding all over the place. When I got to the dressing room and I started talking, my lips, like where the cut was, I was each side, as I was trying to talk, each side of my lip was like talking independently. They were moving independently, so it wasn't like it was fucking awful. It was the most gruesome injury I had ever uh, had ever sustained in a fight and uh and so right then like one of the first thoughts that comes to your mind is like oh my god what did i just do to myself you know and uh and then not only that so then fucking brophy comes in he goes 
what the fuck were you doing out there? And I didn't want to, like, rattle the coach. So I, so I didn't, you know, I knew he'd fucking get an earful from broke. So, I, like, I don't say anything. And I just go, I thought you wanted me out there. I didn't fucking want you out there. Look at you. Just look at you. <laughs> <laughs> like, as if things aren't bad enough, I've already seen my fucking face. Now I have broke like yelling at me like just look at you i'm like oh fuck like but it's like but you know and it was so bad like the doctor at the rink that was at johnstown that was the last time i ever played it in the john i guess the johnstown chiefs where slap shot a lot of slap shot was filmed um and i ended up getting a 10 game suspension for it anyway it was like it was kind of like a almost like a rightful passage. It was fucking total gong show, but uh, it was, a, you know, it was awesome. It was hockey. And before the game, before that game, I had ran up into the uh, radio booth, like, you know, in one of the scenes, like when they, they're talking. So I took a chair out of that uh, radio booth and then ran it back down to the, the bus. So I still have one of the chairs and it says like War Memorial Arena on it. Anyway, so that whole night was kind of like surreal uh you know i have a scar to this day like you know uh to show for it but it was like it's one of those things like you know you get back on the horse after you know like okay that was a really shitty thing that happened but it's part of the game and that's not going to happen every night you know you can't and you as a fighter you have to have a short memory for things otherwise it'll stay with you and it'll haunt you and it'll fuck you up you know like the last thing you want to be thinking when you go into your next fight is like Oh, I'm gonna, you know, maybe I'll get hurt like that again. You're just like, ah, oh, fuck it, it happens. You just move on. Right. <laughs> fucking, I could write a passage for that. That's fucking great. Um, well, I got two more questions for you, man. I know we're fucking, we're running on a bull, yeah. you know, fucking two hours, fifteen minutes here. But um, yeah, sure. One of the questions is, I'm a, I'm a big jersey collector. Uh, well, I guess it's okay. kind of a two part collect or two part question. Um, did you ever do any um, like? F- like customizations to your jerseys did you ever do anything special as far as like i don't know an extra fight strap or you know longer sleeves or shortened sleeves stuff like that uh no they we we started to try and do that stuff when um and then they started cracking down on it like i was the start of like the the fight rule of the fight strap rule before that when i was like in thunder bay and even i think my first year in toledo like our shirts were coming off nonstop. And then all of a sudden they started coming out with those fight strap rules and saying we'd get kicked out of the game for it. So we, um, so in that sense, no, I, I didn't, I hated like if the Jersey was too loose because I would just come out of it. And the worst feeling is like when you come out of your gear and, uh, or he comes out of his gear and then you have nothing to hold on to. Right. Like a lot of hockey fighting is like getting anchored. You get a hold of their jersey, they get a hold of yours, and like you kind of, you can kind of use that. I don't know, it's that torque to throw punches against each other. Um, but I found that if somebody had a hold of my jersey, I couldn't like throw a proper punch. Like if it was too loose, if it was tighter, that was better because they couldn't really grab onto it as easily. Right. Um, but. Uh, I'd say that as far as altering equipment, the only thing I did, like in Toledo, I was fighting so much. And I remember going into Dayton and they brought in some 
MMA guy. Um, I honestly can't remember his name, but uh, they had like Jason Payne, and they had uh, uh, they had a whole lineup of tough guys. But and then they brought in this guy. So what I did was I was like, "Fuck this!" Like if, if we're going to war, I, I filed my helmet. I think Kevin Kaminsky showed a, a helmet not it was too long ago. Barnaby showed a picture of Kaminsky's helmet, and I'd heard about players doing yeah. that, but I'd never seen it. But yep, uh, fucking Kaminsky yeah. did it. No, it, 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 I did it for sure, 100%. So I just took the the file that we had for the sticks and I just filed the shit out of it. And it was like, and it, it's just like rough. So it would just um, like carve the other guy's hands up, right? The other thing I would do is, um, I think I started learning this from, from uh, Holly in, uh, in Thunder Bay was uh, we would spray glue on our knuckles um, and then roll our hands in dirt. So it was like our knuckles were like sandpaper. Oh, so it was fuck. like a, a skin glue that they put on, like usually on your wrist when you put like uh, tape your wrist. Right. It helps keep uh, the tape in place without, after you start sweating. So we would sort of close our hands, spray the glue on top of it. Then we'd roll our hands in the corner or in the, like outside wherever the dirt was. And then uh, what happens is like, if the glue is too tacky, it hot like you almost couldn't throw a good punch. Your your fist wouldn't be tight enough. So then you take uh, baby powder and you put that in between your fingers. And then what happens? You're like your hands are like fucking rock hard, and you can make a nice tight fish, but a nice tight fist. But then your uh, your hands are just like cinder blocks, right? Every time you hit them, it's just opening cuts. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I did that for years and years and years. Never, like, never got called on or anything, but... That's often, fucking you know, great. Yeah. So, like, the other things we do, like, uh, for getting ready is, like, we, you know, we put Vaseline on our on our cheeks and on our foreheads, and often you look like you're just glistening, you know? It looks like uh, Randy Marshallman Savage, you know? So, what that, what that would do is it just help the punches sort of graze or, or glance off you. And uh, right. less chance of punch landing flush. Exactly. Yeah, fucking. <laughs> I heard uh, the trashers that over there in uh, Danbury, uh, what was it? The equipment manager used to wash their jerseys with Crisco so that you couldn't grab onto them, which is fucking Oh, great. really? Eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, uh, but on the topic of jerseys, like uh, I have two game-worn jerseys. I have one of my jerseys from um, that was in my Providence. That was my next question, is what jerseys do you oh, have? Oh, was it? Yep. Oh, okay. And I, I have one from Toledo um, that uh, somebody bought for like a 1000 bucks, but then they never came and picked it up. So, like, the team's like, look, uh, you know, they didn't – I guess they – I don't know. I don't think they paid, and they didn't pick it up. So then uh, they just gave it to me. I was like, that's awesome. So I've, I've always had it. But then uh, – I went to a hockey show in Toronto uh, just after I retired, and uh, Bob Probert was there. So uh, I brought my game-worn jersey there, and I, I gave it to him. He's like, this is game-worn. I'm like, yeah. He's like, you sure you want me to sign it? I'm like, listen, I grew up watching you, and, you know, you're the king, and I it, it would be a, you know, a blessing if you could do it. You know, I appreciate it so much. And he reluctantly sold, like signed it, but then passed away a short time after. So I have like I have probably one of the rarest 
pieces of memorabilia is like my Toledo Storm jersey with the Detroit Red Wings symbol on the on the shoulder, and then Bob Colbert signed it on the back. And I'm like, fuck, that's pretty cool. Piece. Oh fuck, you better you gotta give me uh, you gotta get buried with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, I was gonna see if you had any of your fucking. Uh, I'd love to get my because I like I said I collect game worns. Uh, fucking, if you had a redone Dragons one. I've yet to see any of your L and H jerseys. I've seen a couple of your, or I think one or two of your Augusta ones around somewhere. Um, oh yeah, and I think another Toledo one, but I've never seen any of your L and H ones. I don't know why. I love L and H sweaters. I collect those more than oh, any really? other league. Oh really? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I've asked some some of the fans, like uh, you know, some of the guys that are into like trading jerseys and stuff like that. I have never come across one myself. I used to have uh, my helmet, and fuck, stupidly I threw it away, just thinking like, oh. You know, I'm done hockey, but it had like the the dragon's logo on it, and uh, I should have held on to it. But oh, um, fuck it, out of it, sweet. Yeah, but I'll keep uh, any, anybody I talk to. I'll, I'll definitely keep you in mind there for uh, for any game worn stuff. Oh fuck yeah, that'd be great, man. Um, Absolutely. But all right, man. Well, we saved this for the very end because it's one of the big like like we talked about with the intro. It is probably the the most known hockey fight in the hockey fight world. And if you haven't seen it, you're living under a rock. Do yourself a favor after this video, or, or excuse me, after this podcast, or just pause it right now and go look up Tasker versus Sen. And it is the most infamous hockey fight around, probably. Fuck, I, the, I have the fight call in the intro of the podcast. Um, like b- before I get the uh, the episode going and I kind of have music playing, I have the fight call in the background <laughs> of everything because it's just, it's so famous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so with that fight, man, what led up to that? So it was kind of like a perfect storm. Like, um, obviously, like, Senator and I fought so many times over the years and then this was going to be no different because, you know, we just knew the fight was coming. I had family in from Canada, so I was, like, more stressed because I just didn't want to lose in front of my family. Like, my mom was in town, and uh, honestly, like, one of the thoughts, like, when you're fighting, you don't really think a lot. You're just thinking, like, okay, i got to get going, or, you know, the odd thing for walking into that fight is, like, just don't lose in front of mom, you know? And so... Uh, but what had happened was uh, in warm-up, we, we were kind of skating around and we, we kind of saw each other at the line. We're like, you know, we just do that thing like, so you good to go? He's like, yep. I said, okay. And then uh, he said something about like third period or later on in the game. I was like, fuck. Like, I hate that. Like, I hate. And we got to wait even longer for the anticipation. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, man, I just want to get out of my system. Like, I, I would have been ready to go right in warm-up, you know? He's like, uh, let's wait till later in the game. I'm like, oh, okay. So then, you know, we're playing the game, and everybody's kind of, like, waiting for it to happen. But before the game, and like I mentioned about Toledo, I'm sitting on the bench, and there's, like, rope right behind me. Well, one of the fans, and I, like, to this day, I still talk to him on Facebook. He's a, a friend of mine. His name is Charlie Strange. He comes up to me, goes, Kenny, if you make that number 27 bleed, he goes, I got 50 bucks in it for you. I'm like, I was like, I, I just kind of thought he was bullshit. I'm like, okay. 
And then, uh, like, I, I was figuring, well, like, I'm fighting them anyway. It's, it's sad, you know. I know it's going to happen. And then, uh, so that happens, and uh, and then we get out there, we talk about warm-up, and then we get on the ice, and then I'm like, I'm like, so are you good? He's like, yep. I'm like, okay, let's give him a show. He's like, yep. And that's when we start drifting out to center ice. Like, we had this little conversation, like, lining up to the face-off. And then we get going. And, uh, like, I, I just, the only thing I remember thinking was, like, we were going and we were going hard. And I just remember, like, being worried because I was, like, I'm throwing as fast and as hard as I can. And he's not budging. Like, I just felt like I was hitting a post. And, like, it just wasn't going anywhere. And I thought, fuck, man, just keep going, keep going. And then all of a sudden, I just, the momentum kept going. And I, and then I, I think I, had, I landed, like, an uppercut. And over, like, one over the top and then one under. And then he went down. I thought, oh, my God, thank God. And then it was just, like, deafening in that arena. And it was, like, like I just loved that arena. Like, it was just. It was just like, oh, that was awesome. Like, I won in front of the home crowd. Thank God I didn't lose in front of my mom. And so it was like all these emotions, and I was just, I was completely spent. And so I go back, like, I remember sitting there in the dressing room, and I was just like, oh, my God, like, I do not have another one of those in me. Like, that's, that's all I got, you know? Right. And then, uh, so we go into the dressing room, and, like, uh, like after the game, and, like, all the guys are like, holy fuck, man, that was a great fight. And I was, like, to me, it was just, like, another day at the office kind of thing. I was like, well, I'm glad I won, but, like, to me, it didn't seem that out of the ordinary. But then when it, my GM, Pat Pillipi, comes down and his eyes are just wide open, he's grinning and smiling, he's like, that was one of the best fucking fights I ever saw. <laughs> it was on the tape in the ESPN. I was like, I was like, holy shit, like, okay, I'm glad everybody liked it, but I just, you know, I, see, honestly, it was just like another day at work kind of thing, I, but a good day at work, you know, but I, right. and then when we got home, like, we were watching on the VHS and Maltz, and that was, again, one of those times when Maltz was like, yeah, but you just can't stand wide open and take punches like that. And, uh, but I remember, like, his, uh, his girlfriend was there, like, Who's his wife now? And she's like, uh, they were like, you know, that's one of the best fights we've ever seen. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's just the way I fight all the time. But now looking back, I see, like, it, it was like, uh, again, a perfect storm. The announcer uh, was awesome. Like, he, he called it. Um, I've got an original copy of it where you hear him talking before. He's, uh, you get a little bit of the uh, the banter before the fight starts, and somebody's asking him a question. He's like, "Okay, I'll answer your question in a second, but let's keep an eye on these two because they are almost certain to go." And then, like, it's like watching fucking National Geographic, man. The way <laughs> the way it is, man. It's like watching fucking two yeah. two alley cats going at it. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, like I said, like with with Trevor Sen. It, you flip a coin. Like, luckily, I was the one to come out on top that night, and the next time, he would win, and and I would go down. You know, I just, uh, you know, I'm very grateful and, and blessed that, you know, it's one where, you know, I won, but it could have just as easily been one of the ones that I lost, and 
but I, I'm glad. Like I'm, I was really glad for the, you know, the fans of Toledo. Like it, it, it has staying power. Like people, people there. Are like yeah, I was at that game, and you know. And then uh, I gotta say, a hundred percent. Like uh, after the game, Charlie Strange came up and shook my hand with not one but two fifty dollar bills. He's like. That was fucking awesome. I was like, this is surreal, man. Like, people are handing me cash <laughs> in the arena, like, with cash in my hand for fighting. Like, I just, as a kid, I was like, this is insane. Like, I, you know, like, fucking awesome. Like, this is an awesome life, you know? And then it was like, off to Hooters and then off to Eggs and Legs for breakfast the next day, you know? It's just like, as a, as a young minor league hockey player, like, life doesn't get any better than that, you know? And like, so now I just, um, you know, and the, my mom being there, my family being there to be able to see it was, uh, my mom would always sort of wash the fights with like her hands over her eyes. Right. And, uh, but you know, she was a tough mom, like growing up, she's like, you do not let them be, you fucking give it to them. You know, you just, you know, throw as hard as you can. And like, so again, she grew up with six tough brothers. They grew up on a farm and just a tough life. And uh, my mom was just a tough young mom. She had me at like 18. So like a lot of that was just sort of ingrained in me, right? And then and then I just happened to get paid to fight for it. So I think uh, that fight was just a, a culmination of, you know, pent-up anxiety, stress, uh, two guys that are willing to, you know, fight like that every night and even though they fought each other you know half a dozen times before they still bring it that hard and so i guess in that sense i'm I'm glad that you know the cameras were were there to catch it because that sort of epitomizes like you know how i played the game and and how sen plays the game and uh you know and, and a different time a different time in hockey where it's not as accepted anymore you know but as well like uh, a shout out to all the other tough guys like they laid on the line that night i think that just sort of embodies that the recklessness and the selflessness that you know you, you just willing to take punches for your team and just wide open you know you skate to center ice to give the fans a show is it staged yes like by today's standards would you know would people be bashing it 100 percent. but is it hockey fighting in its purest form like two young guys that are trying to make the NHL and willing to fight their way there and just you know that's what it is like that's that's the game at that that time you know so I'm very honored and very humbled to be uh you know sort of like somewhat immortalized with with Trevor Sen in that like uh, and I'm glad that people get enjoyment out of it I I love seeing the reaction of people to see it for the first time like uh you know, for a while there it was it was tough, like uh, tough sledding with uh, dating girls because it would always inevitably come up when I was like meeting their dad for the first time. You know, they, you know, a sibling or something would bring it up on their phone, and I'd just be like, "Oh Christ, here we go." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, the the flip side of that is like I've got uh, my son is seven, and he. He fucking he wants to fight all the time. I'm like, listen, 
there's no fighters anymore. You're going to be a goal scorer. Right. You know, you'll be a top, sorry top to bre- sorry to break your fighting dreams, kid. You got to score some goals. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, uh, you know, live up to the family name a different way. You know, but uh, and then, but I got two daughters. I got a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. But that fucking fight is going to be on a loop every time they bring a kid over. There you, know? you go. <laughs> yeah. There's that There's that fear factor we were talking about earlier, that little bit of a deterrent yeah, day. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Station factor, like, uh, you know, anyway, they got, they got to know what kinds of the family that they're getting involved with, you know. Absolutely. So. It's funny you say that, you know, um, you like to see people's reaction when they watch it for the first time. That was actually the very first hockey fight video I watched when YouTube, like, first came out. I was, I had to have been probably around seven or eight years old. And I, you know, of course, growing up, always watching the, the Mallards, you know, I knew what a hockey fight was, obviously, with Toporowski playing out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I looked, you know, just looked up hockey fight, and that was the very first hockey fight I ever saw on the internet. And that was, that was what, you know, probably well, started an, an unhealthy addiction for a kid. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, well, again, it's entertaining, right? You see it, and uh, you know you're drawn into it, and you just you see the the two of us throwing. But uh, but again, I'm humbled. Like I'm humbled at the reaction, and that you know I, I uh, the fact that I still get to talk to you know guys like you that you know know the game and know the role, and uh, you know I'm sure there's a lot of people that kind of scoff at it or you know shake their head at it. Don't go on Twitter um, ever. <laughs> no, no, exactly. I, I, all that stuff, I stay away from that shit. Uh, one of the best comments I ever read. But so, like when it was first, when it was kind of blown up in the early years, I'd read all the comments and I'd start to get like a little bit defensive, like if somebody be, uh, you know, anyway, just you know, disrespectful or whatever. But right. the one that made the hardest was this. You could all I could picture was this old black guy at the keyboard and the comment was stupid white boys. I just wish they would have hit themselves a little harder. And I was like, like talking about me and Sam wishing that we would just fucking hit each other harder and knock each other out. You know, I was like, fuck, like you get so many fucking people that are like just uh, tough guys behind the keyboard, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's just it's fucking awesome. Yeah, man, you see so, it nonstop. Uh, <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like now, now I don't bother listening to any trolls or anything like that. It's just uh, it, like it's a it's a dragon. It takes a life of its own, and, it, and you know, just to people that like it, you know, it's great. If it's not for them, that's great too. You know, I honestly I could care less. I just. Uh, but the, the hardest thing for me the last few years has just been my kid wanting to watch fight video after fight video. And I'm trying to, you know, trying to be where the hat of a parent and yet, you know, still be the cool dad that, you know, played hockey. Like I, I find it hard, it's hard to find that line with my son, like justify that, you know, there's the glory behind it, obviously, like, you know, it's popular on YouTube, but then I have to explain to them about all the stress involved, you know, not right. sleeping, not how a lot of the guys end up, you know, having uh, health problems after, you know, due to, you know, drugs or, or 
you know, taking bad concussions. Some guys honestly have, you know, are, are not the same. They, they suffer, and that's not good either. I, I'm very fortunate. I came out unscathed, you know, for the most part, as far as I know. Like, I'll be honest, I, I, I worry a little bit about, like, the early onset of Alzheimer's and things like that, the unknown. But uh, but I don't worry about it. Again, like fighting, I'll cross that bridge when it comes, if, if it comes, you know. But uh, I like to think that uh, in hockey fighting, not every punch lands. It's not like boxing where it's like repeated trauma over and over. Uh, when I was training for that tough man contest, when I experienced the most headaches and things like that was just from the sparring every day. Right. Uh, but uh, honestly, I, I think to everybody, like they do it as long as they can, as long as they're healthy, and that's what I did. And then when I started to see signs that uh, it was unhealthy, then I got out. So hopefully, I got out soon enough. Uh, I I don't think any of the guys should be doing it once they're they're past that point. Like once they they start to see negative signs, I think you know they should definitely throw in the towel and, and pack it in. Uh, and I, and I you know. I I like that there's tough guys, but I um, I don't want to see anybody back in that role of me, like or guys like me, where they were just sitting on the bench and being tapped, like with a minute to go after sitting in the on the bench for three you know three periods, ice cold, and then just go in there and fight cold. Like uh, I like a guy that plays tough, and then when it's time to answer the bell, you know, does it right so, uh, that all around package. Yeah, exactly, and and give that guy a chance to play a regular role too. You know, like let him play aggressive, let him play, you know, uh, like that fourth line grinder role. You know, exactly. Like just I just don't like the uh, sort of the small man syndrome with the the coach that just uh, starts getting pissed off. You know, has sort of gets an ego trip against the other coach and then starts putting tough guy and putting him in in a bad position after being ice cold, you know, I don't, I think it's hard for anybody going and do that. So. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've gone, we've gone on for about two and a half hours now, man. And you know, the amount of content that we've put in here, or though I should say that you put in here, man, I've been, you know, over here just in awe at all these fucking stories. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming onto the podcast and giving me the time of day, you know, as a fight fan and as a hockey fan to, uh, come on and share some stories about, you know, the old times of hockey. So, you know, you know I want to say thank you, man. Well, thank you, Alec. Honestly, it's great to talk to somebody that, you know, knows the role and, and knows uh, and appreciates that aspect of the game. And, and uh, you know, I'm humbled that you'd remember me and that you'd, uh, you know, think of me, you know, with regards to all the, the other tough guys. You and popped my so hockey my fight first. cherry, man. I always remember my first. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm glad, but I'm glad it's uh, it, it's all, it was great doing it at the time, and it, it's great reliving it. So, thanks for remembering me. Absolutely, man. Well, fucking a, uh, this should be out next Tuesday, so uh, you know, just be on the lookout for it or whatever. But okay, um, we'll do again, yep. man. Can't can't thank you enough. So uh, you have yourself a good night, Ken. Yeah, you too. And don't be afraid to cut it up and carve it up, edit it. Uh, you know, make it sound good for both of us there, and. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to share it on Facebook, too. Absolutely, man. Have a good one. You too, Alex. Thanks. The part is over. They say that all 
good things must end Call it a night The part is over And tomorrow starts the same old thing again (laughs) 